This is Too Much Film School. This week we're going to talk about a little-known movie called The Hunger Games, I think in limited release, right? Yes, right absolutely. It made a, a hundred and fifty-something yeah. million in its first week. Right, that weekend, was sorry. its first weekend, so it's 350 or so now, right? This movie has been ridiculously successful already and uh, will continue printing money for uh, weeks to come, I'm sure. Kids like giving money for movies. Yeah, well, this was popular with the kids. It's uh, I kind of see it. It's probably a date movie because you know all the teenage girls like it, and uh, teenage boys will go wherever the teenage girls want to go. So well, they'll <laughs> tell spring them, break. So. They'll tell them, oh, it's they kill each other and leave out uh, whatever else is there. There's actually a surprisingly little amount of romance in the story, and I and I was grateful that they did that in the book, and I thought uh, I was glad that the movie didn't cram in, you know, more, you know, romantic subplot uh, into it. So, um, it, was I not not a stereo it was not stereotypically uh, feminine in that way. So this was not Twilight in your opinion. Exactly. I, I think in most people's opinion, this is not Twilight. Well, before I went and saw it, I pissed people off, including my wife and her friends, by saying, eh, it's Twilight with the running man mixed in, right? <laughs> uh, having seen it now, no, it is not Twilight. Because I did end up watching the first one before I knew what Twilight was, actually. Oh, okay. It was terrible. <laughs> That's what it is. Uh, so this was not that... Uh, a lot of people on the internet are saying it's Battle Royale. It's, I have seen the film, and I read the book as well, and it's... Uh, Similar-ish. It's it's sort of battle royale minus the weird Japanese stuff, right? <laughs> which which is synonymous with Japanese stuff. Yes, I don't saying that weird is a little redundant. Uh, which uh, I generally approve of subtracting as much weird Japanese as we can <laughs> for you most of our racist. Uh, it's more uh, uh, cultural myopia. Okay, <laughs> it's it has nothing to do with their race. Oh. It has to do with their culture. There you go. I don't mind American Japanese people. Nice. So it's just the over there in Japan they have issues. <laughs> Leave that uh, tentacles and stuff. So <laughs> as much as I didn't think I would like the movie because I thought it might be Twilight or preteen romance, paranormal sci-fi, there's a whole section in Borders <laughs> and places that have sprung up now. If you can still find a Borders, that is uh, go with Bards and Noble. Bards and Noble. <laughs> Uh, that's called preteen romance, and I'm like, you know, there, this used to be like nonfiction. <laughs> um, do those still exist? There's been several of, uh, times where I've gone to a bookstore looking for a very specific book on parenting or something like that, and they just don't carry it. Oh, you can get it online. Like I knew that before I came in here. I wanted to actually <laughs> look at the book. I could have bought it on Amazon, but they have replaced aisles and aisles with preteen paranormal romance. Do you know who goes into brick-and-mortar stores? People that are in malls. Do you know who to go to malls? Teenage girls. <laughs> it's a sad, sad thing. Back in my day, I did not go to a lot of bookstores either. When I, I mean, it's really? not like I'm My friends and out. I used to hang out at the bookstore because there's a little, like, corner that we could... We were nerds. Right. And nerds. there was a little corner where we could hang out and uh, not be bothered by the bullies who oh, wow. tried to steal our lunch money. I played sports and bullied nerds. <laughs> um, so... If you, uh, if you, the audience, could see what Casey looks like, you would find that as amusing as I did. Wow. 
Now, I read the book in a, uh, before I saw it, and I really enjoyed it. I read the second book. I was reading the third book on my phone while we were watching the trailers <laughs> before the movie started. So uh, I was definitely a fan of the books. You, you hadn't read it before you saw the movie? Right. I usually don't read the books before I see the movie because I can... Books, I find, cram a lot of detail in and subplots and things, and the movie has no choice because of the time to pull a lot of those out. So I feel like a lot of times if you really liked those, you'll be disappointed, even if the movie is a good movie. They had to make tough choices. So if I see the movie and then like the story, I'll go back and read the book. And be, it's like discovering new areas that they didn't have time to get to. So I'm pleasantly surprised instead of bitterly disappointed. That's generally true, although I feel like in this, in the case of The Hunger Games, I think that didn't happen. I think they tried to cram in every subplot and uh, just gave each subplot about 35 seconds. I was going to say, not having read it, I still felt myself missing some things that I thought <laughs> might be in the book when I saw the movie. The actual opening of the film, you probably remember... Katniss going hunting as sort of the opening scene, but there's actually a very brief scene of Wes Bentley as the guy who designed the games uh, being interviewed by Stanley Tucci, and he's talking about the history of the games and how it brings us together or some such nonsense. And that, as a starting point, was a great departure from the book, because in the book, you never see anything that it, that is not Katniss doing something. It's the very first person. I mean, it's literally written in the first person. Yeah. But uh, we're not aware of any events that she can't possibly be aware of. And right off the bat, I was like, oh, this movie is... We're going to cut to the villains devising their devious plans. Gotcha. And, uh, and that's what happened. <laughs> I was a little, a little disappointed in that, but we'll get to that. Uh, but after that scene, we get into Katniss hunting. She climbs under a fence, and there's a big fence. They had, like, text talking about the war and why they had been put into districts and everything, but they show this big shot of an electrified fence with razor wire, and she kind of lifts and goes under it. I'm like, that? It's not electrified? Right. And then they, she's out hunting, and then uh, there's a deer, and this guy comes up and throws a rock and scares off the deer, and she turns at him, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought just from what I heard before the movie that these people were starving. But if this dick's throwing away <laughs> whole deer, I don't think they are. And then uh, she turns around and knows him and talks, and it's um, Thor's brother. Uh, <laughs> but it looks like he lost about 20 pounds or something. I thought they used to look identical, and both went out for the part of Thor. And in this, he's, he's a like, bigger guy, but he looks husky and, you know, like, solid built. Not Thor-like. Uh, that's another thing is that him, I, I don't think he looked right for the part or the world. He, when she first sees him, I'm like, oh, I thought, again, supposed to be a starving coal mining town, and he has, like, low lights and a little auburn in his hair, and <laughs> looks a little too pretty. I was going to say the same thing about her. After she uh, kills some small woodland animal and uh, takes it to the market, everybody in the market is covered in head-to-toe in dirt, and, like, their hair is falling out, and, like, the, one eye between, like, three of them. Like, they're all horrible, and she looks like Jennifer Hudson. And yeah. You know, there's later on in the film, they go through a process of cleaning her up. And I was like, she looks exactly the same. She, yeah. she did not look like a, a poor coal miner's daughter at any point. She looks uh, she looks perfectly healthy and well-fed and good bone structure. And I mean, she just does not look like she's in a starving town like everyone else in this town except for her and Gail. Everybody else in this town looks like they're falling apart. And I think, it's a little weird. I think that's one of the things that, from what I've heard, the books really drive home is that it's this feeling of they are dying of 
starvation. And I remember seeing it going, why doesn't everyone just go through this fence and hunt stuff? <laughs> like, they don't cover, I guess in the book my wife's telling me that they say, oh, it's penalty of death for going in there and hunting. And the fence is supposed to be electrified, but you can, things are just breaking down because they're the furthest out. Yeah. And it breaks down, but if they still catch you, they will kill you. The fact that she is hunting is supposed to demonstrate how desperate she is. That she's willing to face death in order to feed her family. Right. And, and in the movie... That didn't come across to me as a first-time viewer. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, uh, yeah, like you said, it has that sign that says electrified, and it, but it, the fence is not electrified, but it doesn't, if you don't know the backstory, it's sort of like, the, this is just malfunctioning. <laughs> yeah, and it's the main driving point of the story, why they, why it's called the Hunger Games, is they're hungry. If you don't have that there, they're just games. <laughs> no. It struck me as odd when I first see it, saw it. I didn't think it made the whole movie less credible. But I think points like that are what they can really drive home in books. Whereas yes. they don't get the time to take it in I, films or it's a lot harder. I still feel like there is a way to do it. And yeah. this film sort of it was almost the Cliff Notes version of, of the book. Like it skimmed everything and you sort of got the gist. But... They could have cut things out and then focused more on other other things, which I'll get to later what I think they should have cut. Going back to that opening scene between Gale and Katniss, I was shocked at what a shitty actor Liam Hemsworth was. His performance, it reminded me of the opening scene of Haywire and Channing Tatum's sort of like amateur, like high school production level of, of acting. And Jennifer Hudson is good, and so it just made him look all the worse. It's funny that you bring Channing Tatum up because I think I remember a lot of times feeling like Channing Tatum in Haywire reminded me of trying to do John Krasinski. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just every guy joking around. And Chris Hemsworth reminded me, of, I'm like, this is like a really buffed out younger John Krasinski. <laughs> but a shitty version of it. Right. Like, he was not as good as, as John Krasinski. And I just, I did not buy him at all as this angry like teenager who hates the government. Especially, or as starving. Like I said, he yes. slimmed down a bit from uh, being the size of his brother, but not to starving level. Yeah, he still looks like he could he could have eaten that deer himself. Um, and uh, they sort of after after that we meet uh, the Katniss's sister, and you know with how important she is to her and stuff. And they sort of gloss over the the relationship with the mother, um, and we don't really know what happened to the dad, but. You know, I, I feel like we sort of get the gist of what are the stakes for her in terms of feeding her family and loving her sister and all of that. Not knowing the story, I didn't feel anything missing actually from the uh, interaction with her mother and her sister. Felt like the little points that they did touch upon, like her tucking in the, the shirt at the back or seeing the dress laid out. I did actually think, oh, that dress must be special or this weighty silence that's in the, the house there's something going on that's very important. They use small touches I think to show that maybe the father wasn't there but I can't recall any particular ones but you did feel the icy or so relationship with the mom. So that one I think they even used like brought in the out of focus motif of the visual cue that they use throughout the movie where it's kind of a glossy focus almost as if there's coal dust in the air or something. Right. So that it looked interesting and gave small touches of the family. So, Yeah, I mean, it, 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 like you said, it, as in the book, there's more detail, but I feel like that particular sequence conveyed what was necessary for the film, and you would get a little bit more out of the book, but it, it sort of played 
some of the exposition, though, about what the Hunger Games were and how uh, you have to sign up for food dispensation. Every time you sign up for food, they put your name into the bucket. One thing about that conversation that frustrated me, though, is that Gale says he's his name is in there like 50 or 60 times or something. And he says, well, I guess the odds aren't in my favor. And I'm like, unless there's less than 50 people, they're still in your favor. Like, <laughs> you may have more odds than anyone else, but 2% versus 1%, it's still more likely not going to be you. Like, you're just, you're bad at math. <laughs> I don't if, understand what you're explaining. If, if there... <laughs> I'm bad at math. Apparently. So I'm saying if they're drawing your name out of a hat, paying attention to how odds work, it would be a very important part of my life. I see. And uh, he did not under, he did not understand that the odds are still in his favor of it not being drawn, even if his name is in there more often than any individual person. There's still more other people than his own. How do you not understand the okay. difference between Okay, these? now I see what you're getting. Even though his name is in there 50 times, there are a thousand other kids. Right. So he's... 50 out of 1,000. Right. So it's still more likely 950 names are not him. Right. It's still odds are in his favor. Looking around at how many extras they cast, I don't <laughs> think there were 1,000. But there's also... Other uh, people with repeats. Our oh. society does not focus on math enough. It's pedantic much. is what it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's not even too much film school. It's just too much school. Nice. So then we get to what's called the reaping, where they gather all the kids into boys and girls, and they draw everybody's name out of a hat. Um, or a giant fishbowl, for whatever reason. I was disappointed that they didn't... This is just me complaining about how the movie's different than the book, and so this isn't a legitimate complaint. But in the book, we introduce Woody Harrelson's character. He's actually there at the reaping, and he's drunk. And uh, he stumbles around and falls off the stage. Woody Harrelson, being a good comedic actor, would be able to, to make hay with that. And I was disappointed that he was not introduced in that scene. They decided to keep that sequence entirely serious. And, you know, maybe that's a valid choice. But yeah, uh, I, I just missed Woody Harrelson just being goofy. It would have been a much different scene if there was comedic relief in what sh was supposed to be kind of an earth-shattering decision and, you know, fracturing a family. Since seeing the movie, actually I have started reading the book and I'm only up to that point, which is only a, a dozen pages in or more. And in the book, it has Hamish come out and stumble around drunk before the names are drawn. And then once her name is drawn and Prims and she Katniss volunteers... He hugs her and says, oh, we have a volunteer, and starts waxing philosophic about it. But then he falls off the stage and has to be carried out. And so it does kind of break up some of the tension. And I think, though, in the book, they take the time to have her say, "I'm." she's glad for the distraction because she can make her face a mask and not show any emotions, or else everyone watching the other competitors would see think she's weak and target her. And that's one thing that, even in the beginning of the book, uh... I didn't get in the movie is her being very calculating of this. Like we see that she's kind of cold in the movie and hunter and has instinctual nature, but doesn't come across that she's making decisions like that. Yeah. In the book, she's very much trying to figure out what everybody else is thinking and trying to do. And she's never sure who she trusts and who she doesn't trust and what uh, she's trying to interpret everybody else's actions. And that just, you don't, understand what she's thinking in this film and it's hard to convey thought in a film when someone is as, as isolated as she is it's called voiceover but come on just have it the whole time i was actually <laughs> you say that as a joke i was actually going to promote that fucking sid field <laughs> has crammed it down our throat that voiceover is evil it's lazy storytelling yes all exposition. that exposition right exactly all of that shit 
uh, is true if you're writing your first screenplay, your voiceover is going to be terrible. But there are good voiceovers. There's uh, Sunset Boulevard. There's Fight Club that we talked about recently. There's good ways of doing voiceover. And the way you do good voiceover is when it explains something that cannot be expressed on film. And it, sometimes it's necessary. And I think in this film, to get into her head more, to get into the first person's perspective that the book had so well, I would have not minded voiceover. Now, granted, she's a younger actress, and voiceover is sort of hard to perform, as well as it's dif difficult to write. Maybe it wouldn't have come off right. and may Maybe it would be a mistake to, to rely on her uh, voice to convey things. But there are so many clunky parts in this movie that would have been solved with a well-written voiceover. All of the times that they cut outside of the... And I'm jumping ahead here. All of the times that they jump out of the arena and we see what Hamish is doing or we see what the game makers are doing, all of that is in the book, but it's her guessing. She's thinking, is this what Hamish is trying to tell me? And instead in the film, we see Hamish tell her. And and it, it, it's much more ambiguous. You know, we're much more closely aligned with her because we are not actually sure if, if, if these things are happening or not. When you see something on film, when you see a character doing a thing, we just assume that it's reality and there's no, there's no ambiguity anymore. You lose a lot of ambiguity in a movie because of that. I think that would have been actually a different movie and possibly more interesting to just be in her shoes with her and not knowing what's going on, even if they hinted at it. It would have been a much harder film to make and be successful, but if they had pulled it off that... This movie was going to be successful no matter what. Kids loved the books. It was going to get 150... When a movie has a successful opening weekend, especially as successful as this one, yeah. it's not a reflection on the quality of the film. It's a reflection on the quality of the advertising and whatever the source material is. Or in the case of like sequels, how much people liked the previous film. Right. So the fact that it made $150 million has nothing to do with whether this movie was good or bad. It has to do with the book was good. And you could have just filmed the book cover for an hour and 20 minutes, and people would have been, still would have made $150 million that weekend. I think it wouldn't have made money later, but... I think someone would have tweeted, <laughs> Hey, don't bother going seeing this, it's a book cover. Uh, so that's a little extreme, but yes. Yes. I, I understand what you're getting at. Because it's sort of, I almost would argue, because it's so guaranteed to make its money back on its opening weekend, they should have taken that as leeway to try a little harder at being a little more unconventional. Because because they were going to make their money back no matter what. Oh, I don't think what you're talking about is possible. I think if anyone said, you know what I want to try that's radically different <laughs> with this property, would have been shot by... <laughs> the uh, production company or by the uh, studio and said, no, you are going to go as by the book, not rocking the boat at all, and deliver us this property on a silver platter in a palatable form that's not going to anger people and, you know, from the book or that haven't read the book so we can straddle that middle ground and make as much money as possible. You're right. They did go for the middle ground, and that's, that's the nature of the business, and I'm, I'm naive and, and exactly. Pollyanna-ish. <laughs> So, getting back into the story, Katniss volunteers for her sister, and it was a big emotional moment, and I feel like that was one of the better interpretations of scenes from the book. It, it really, uh, you really felt for her, and you, you could see the difference between her and everybody else, that she is actually going to fight for a specific thing, and not just for the general notion of not dying. That scene also had uh, a lot of interesting sound design, because it does drop out all the sound when her name is called. 
and it's similar to the motif of the going out of focus that I talked about in the, the house they live in, and it kind of does that with a ringing, almost zeroing out all background sounds when she hears the name, so I feel like that is probably part of what that's probably part of what conveyed the emotional impact that the book had, is these film techniques. They used film language to get that gut-wrenching kind of concussion that uh, you may get if you're reading about it. And they do use that later on in the film as well, when she's fighting or when she, they're getting ready to uh, start the games. They, again, drop out the sound and kind of have a ring tunnel uh, everything out. So it's parts like that, I think, really made this well-made. Yes. It was, uh, they, they used every uh, cinematic trick that they had to try and get you in her head, except for voiceover. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is really, honestly, more of a literary technique anyways. We also meet Peta in this scene, or at least we see him for the first time. And I've had this problem since the trailer. He does not look like what I, and again, this is biased from reading the book. I imagine Peta to be a bigger dude. He's, like, his whole thing is that the only thing he's really good at is that he can throw a big, heavy thing. And Liam Hemsworth, who plays Gale looks more like what I imagined Peter to be. Right. And granted, I also imagined Gale to be kind of a big dude, too. But uh, Peter was a lot smaller than I expected. Yeah, he was also kind of prettier than uh, <laughs> what he should have been. They, again, back to, oh, they're supposed to be starving. Uh, I've heard he's a baker's son and there's different classes. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's a, a he's, little better off, but yeah. Uh, he's still supposed to be the poorest neighborhood. Yeah, and so he's... He, has kind of quaffed blonde hair from the beginning, and again, when they get to the capital, they're like, ooh, make him up. They put gel in his hair. But otherwise, he looks like Zach Morris or something, to where you're like, he probably does all right for himself. Yeah. Have you been reading my uh, Saved by the Bell Hunger Games slash fiction? Oh, what? And who hasn't out there, really? <laughs> Tearing up the internet by storm. But, uh, no, it's just, again, another thing of them looking better than I think the situation would have called for. And it... <laughs> It's particularly notable in that uh, almost immediately afterwards they have to get made up. And it's like, if you want to convey them being made up, you need to downplay it at the beginning. Like, you need to make them dirty and gross and weird and, like, lose, knock a couple teeth out or something. And then they get falsies. Something. Yeah, like There were very few scenes where they would have had to be ugly. Right. So it's not like you're sacrificing the whole movie. And uh, speaking of how you, PETA also being smaller... I agree that they're like, oh, he can throw something really heavy. And I'm like, not as heavy as that large guy, that Kato guy. <laughs> there's a couple of kids. Yeah, like, there's nothing in his frame that <laughs> says that he can throw something heavier than that guy. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, maybe he's got stronger muscle density and that guy's like, but no, I'm going to say the six foot two, 280 pound guy <laughs> can throw things that are heavier than the 160 pound kid. So they get they get the picked, they hop on a train, and then we meet drunk Hamish, which is still Woody Harrelson. As soon as I heard that he was playing Hamish, I was like, that's exactly who it should be. Like, of all of the casting, which I think generally in this film, uh, Elizabeth Banks playing Effie was, was great, and uh, I think uh, Jennifer Hudson was a good Katniss, but Woody Harrelson was just a exactly, like, who should have been playing Hamish. And and I think he worked great. He was sort of drunk and angry, and then uh, was sort of lovable and drunk, and uh, exactly in his wheelhouse. I was surprised at how much I liked Woody Harrelson in it, because I didn't know anything about the casting beforehand. Oh. And so when he walked in, I 
kind of groaned because <laughs> he can be wrong for a lot of things. Yes. And more recently, I found him more wrong for everything I see him in. Uh, What's, uh, I haven't seen him in a lot of things, so I think 2012 was the last one where he popped up. He's in 2012? He was in 2012, a god-awful movie, and he is not a good part of it. So it's not like that helped him. The last time I saw him was Zombieland, and he was, uh, once again, perfect. I also was surprised at his nose. Because in both 2012 and from what I saw of The Messenger, I thought he had broken his nose recently or something. <laughs> he had plastic surgery to where the bridge of his nose became very skinny and fine and like had a different texture to it than the rest of his face. To where I was like, wow, he had bad plastic surgery. And then he showed up in Hunger Games and I was like, what happened? His nose is back to normal. So maybe he had it reversed or something, <laughs> but... His nose was better, and his <laughs> acting was better than 2012. Um, so he did do very well in this and made the uh, initial parts where he's drunk and then the turn where he actually starts to care about them and give advice believable, and a different actor might have not pulled that off. Right. I did. There was a weird moment. Uh, he comes in, he's drunk, and he's like, you're all going to die, and he walks out of the room. And Peta is like, I'm going to go talk to him. And the next scene, he walks in, and he's like, well, here's what you got to do, guys. Here's how you... And it's like, what did PETA say off yeah. camera to convince him uh, to, you know... Mentor him? Yeah. It, it was a much... And again, it's a different... It's a compression of time, but that was a little bit much right. in the compression. As, as much as I felt like Woody Harrelson pulled it off, timing-wise, yeah, that was fast. And I even remember thinking, like, okay... All he needed was a few kind words. You had mentioned Elizabeth Banks also being perfect casting for Effie, and she was very good in it. I did also groan when I realized it was her, though. <laughs> More because I guess I haven't seen Elizabeth Banks do really well in things. I know her from Zack and Miri Make a Porno and, like, comedic roles right. where I thought she wouldn't be able to pull off any kind of gravitas or actual drama, which was the same problem I had with, I saw, the next three days with her and Russell Crowe, where she's convicted of is murder. Is she the wife? She's the wife. It Whoa. is the most awkward start of the movie ever, because I'm like, that's Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> where, where is it going to turn funny now? <laughs> and it doesn't, and it really takes me the first third of the movie to get into, like, she's not going to be funny and believe that she's acting. And she does. I don't know that I hold it against her. It's her persona off screen or for her past roles. Back to the Hunger Games, though. Uh, yeah, the train scene was interesting. They had, it was richly appointed. I think the production design really kicked up there to show that they do have an attention to detail. Yes. That maybe was missing for some of the coal mining uh, scenes where they should have been dirtier but maybe they were fighting the makeup and the hair people yeah we, and then we arrived at the city which was interestingly diverse and interestingly sci-fi and sort of crazy and the people are all dressed weird and i was impressed that i was like that looks like it could be a style and it's certainly not a style that exists now i sort of appreciated it i could conceive of someone thinking at some point that that was uh okay style in the book they actually took it a little further where people were dying their skin blue like the yeah. stanley tucci's character has blue skin in the book okay that's a little far <laughs> pretty sure lady gaga's next concert is going to look a bit like some of those so yeah. i was disappointed though when they arrived in their chariots that was the shittiest green screen i have ever seen it was like on the level of the ringer pilot where it was just laughably bad like did not look real at all the scale on it was definitely off, especially for the scope that the city's supposed to have, like that shot of the announcers with the chariots in the background stretching out. 
forever. It just... There was something weird about yeah. it. Yeah. But that, I feel like that was the only effect shot where I was like, something went wrong here. Everything else sort of seemed pretty realistic. But anyways, we, then we meet her stylist, Cinna. Played by Lenny Kravitz. Who is not an actor and what? amply demonstrated in this film. I thought, I was amazed when I realized, I'm like, that's Lenny Kravitz, I think. And then he said some stuff. I'm like, maybe not. Because this guy was not overacting, which is... <laughs> refreshing given a lot of the other kind of characters in the film which who are supposed to be over the top and things like that he seemed like he actually cared about the people and was being genuine it did in the movie look like they were referencing the book of oh this is an important guy we only showed the two scenes with him but he's kind of holding her face or whatever before she gets on the platform and looking and i'm like they didn't have a lot of time together so <laughs> This is very touching and all, but I've said a lot of times in this when I don't believe someone, even if they're just ordering eggs or reading uh, from a newspaper, I believed him. He felt like he was just being his realistic self and doing very little in terms of acting. Really? I felt like he didn't fully understand what was going on, what all the people with the lights and the cameras were doing. He seemed confused and not in the, in the film at all to me. And to be perfectly honest, anybody who's read the book is going to jump on me for this, but... He's a very important character in the series, and I felt like he didn't do anything in the movie. I felt like they probably cut a lot of stuff out because he was a, kind of a lousy actor. I bet you the stuff that we saw was the only like, stuff that worked. <laughs> he is a much larger part, but uh, quite frankly, it's sort of redundant when you also have Woody Harrelson there as an advisor. You could have cut his character out of the movie or just reduced it to the level. The other, the, the other three people that are like making her up and stuff... They're also, they have characterization and stuff in the book, and in the movie they're just there, uh, but they have names and stuff in the book. You could have cut Cinna down to that level, and as a film it would not have suffered, but too many people like that character from the book, and they weren't willing to make that sacrifice, and I sort of understand in terms of, like you said earlier, about adapting something into a popular medium, like you want to hit the audience that read it as well as the audience that didn't. I thought he was useless in the movie. I, I would not have missed his character at all. Um, and then more time could have been spent with elaborating Woody Harrelson's character and his relationship with the two of them and their relationship as they're in the training, which is sort of glossed over in this. I think Lanny Kravitz did do a passable job of acting, but I was confused by how quickly he took to them. And he's like, you guys are my people. I want to do something special through the fire and make you notice so that you get more pledges and i remember thinking like why does he care more about these kids than the ones last year is this his first year doing it do all the other wardrobe oh. people like get this involved and attached to them it is his first year doing it oh. they not mention that in the movie i like it's weird when you've read a book so recently you sometimes conflate them and don't realize yeah what no. happened and what didn't i did not get that oh yeah uh, it's totally his first year and he's okay. like i'm gonna make he's also trying to be like i'm gonna impress the city as well yeah and how cool i am because it's the first time doing it. It also brought up a, a point of, like, he can make fire out of nothing or has a gel that just turns to fire and people don't know about this. They're all like, how, how are they on fire? And yet, he, did he invent this? And yet he's a, a wardrobe maker? Like, why is he weird. not a scientist? It just struck me as odd. And it was the first kind of instance I got that, oh, they do, like, weird genetic stuff in this world, huh? Which, by the way, you notice how I said this world? When I started reading the book, they explained, this is North America? Oh, is that none of them? I thought in the, in the opening thing they talk about, there is a war and an ecological disaster in North America, like, you know, halfway sank into the ocean or whatever, and then the, what came out of it was this country that they call Panem. 
I'm going to record this saying, no, the movie did not get across, at least <laughs> to me, that this was the U former USA and North America Earth. I caught it as a somewhat similar planet or universe of alternate Earth where they have things like we later get into the pig dog things or the right. the yellow jackets that cause craziness. So those things read to Which me... Which I thought yellow jackets did anyway. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, those things read to me as, no, this is not Earth, let alone when I started reading the book Colorado. Like, they give the name of where the capital is, and they say it's Colorado. So that struck me as a little odd and wasn't what I was thinking when I saw the movie. No, it's supposed to be uh, a couple hundred years in the future there was a war in the near future to us, some sort of ecological disaster, lots of infighting, and then they created a new country. Then there was a rebellion, and then 75 years later is where the story starts. So we're talking two or three hundred years in the future. Okay. A lot of that came across without, like, the words United States or anything. <laughs> I could have at least also thought of, the, of our world, but not North America. Like I said, I didn't know it was his first year, so I also went... Does he get this way with all of them? But <laughs> it was just in passing, and I thought... He, so you say, you say after, like, 12 years of, of sending kids off to their deaths, you'd just be like, eh, eh whatever, kid. More meat for the grinder. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I can see that happening, so sure. that's It's clearly a part of Hamish's arc where he's drunk because he, he doesn't want to uh, send more kids to their death or... Well, right, he but feels... I mean, he's, he has feelings for them, and therefore he's trying to deaden them with right. the drink. He's not sort of okay with it kicking him down the chute <laughs> uh, and that's actually another thing that came across more in the book from the parts that i've actually read now is that hamish says like oh they've actually sent me some fighters this time or you know and he they show some pushback and spark and so he does believe in them instead of just drinking to deaden the feelings yeah and in the movie though when he turns around and says oh you guys have got some spark it's they didn't do anything. Like, yeah. They did not do anything to deserve turning him around. It was They rushed through large sections of that in a yeah. way that were not... Uh, I, I feel like they dwelt on things that maybe they shouldn't have, like the big uh, parade where she's on fire and all of that stuff. Like I, I guess it's sort of necessary because it's a plot point later on. Not even really a plot point, it's just a term Motif. that they use. But it's they, that scene sort of goes on for a little while. Versus, uh, let's spend some time with the characters and, and maybe have, you know, more of a uh, building up to Hamish giving a shit about these two kids that he's pretty sure are going to get killed. Right. And another thing that I've actually read in the book that would have helped flush out, and it's not an important scene, has nothing to do with the plot, but there's an Avox servant girl that she recognizes and then tells Peta a story. He helps her cover the fact that he she recognizes her because they're traitors. And then she tells him a story how she could have helped save this girl because she was running from the capital, uh, but didn't. So that was a little more enlightening in the book, uh, just a, a small throwaway scene that showed the power of the capital, showed her and Peta maybe having a relationship, which in the movie there was nothing there. Like, just jumping ahead to the end where he's like, wait, what about us? And I'm like, oh, you actually believe there's something between the two of you? This, this was all for television. <laughs> it was so woodenly transparent and not real that everyone knows that and you should too like but in the book there are times when you could see like oh yeah he thinks they might be dating or they just have these small moments where you're like hey a relationship could develop between these two so yeah it's sort of honestly i hate keep bringing up the book for people who just want to see a movie but 
in the book, I didn't understand why people called it a love triangle because I was like, Gail didn't do anything. <laughs> like he's in like the opening scene, and then she, you know, flies away, and then there's this guy she spends a very intense, you know, period of time with. I was like. Peter's clearly going to get the girl. Like, Gail didn't have a chance. <laughs> uh, and obviously, even in the movie, Gail didn't really do a hell of a lot anyways. Yeah. I uh, wouldn't have gone for either of them. <laughs> but, um, Team Edward, is that what you Yeah, said? exactly. They don't sparkle in the sunlight <laughs> enough for me. The relationship with Peter really doesn't feel like it was developed in the movie, in the training or during that part. Like, it is kind of awkward. And so I read it as just like, oh, she doesn't like him or anything like that. And, oh, that was, and one of the reasons was the flashback of him throwing her bread was supposed to be this huge moment and things. And you talked about maybe having narration. That would have made me understand just watching the movie why that was important. They kind of explain it, but it also, I think I mentioned previously, undercut the fact that they were starving. Because I'm like, they just throw away bread that has some burning on it. So clearly they can't be that hungry. I read that scene as, why are you guys so hungry if people like, Bake bread, first off, and then toss it out if it's got some burned on one end. And the book really goes into why, you know, they're doing that here. I also feel like, for that scene in the film, it was a mistake that they used the same actors. Yeah. Because she was supposed... I think it's supposed to have happened, like, four years ago or five years ago. Oh, a significant period of time ago. Right. It was because she was... dad died. It was when her dad died, and... Katniss was too young to sign up for the Tesserae. She's younger than what her sister is now. The, and that's why they were starving. She looks... I think they tried to make young them down a little bit, but it was like this happened this spring. It doesn't yeah. look like it happened four years ago. And it's weird because they are portraying like teenagers to say we're going to recast you for slightly younger teenagers. But still, like that scene did not... Even knowing that they were supposed to be much younger, that scene did not convey four years ago. It was supposed to be like a vague childhood recollection. Like, not a, oh, you gave me some bread last year. It didn't have the impact that it needed. Exactly. And in the film only. That, along with other things, is just why it didn't feel like they actually had a relationship or anything aside from him having a crush, thinking she's out of his league, and then you being like, yes, she is. There's nothing changing that <laughs> in the course of this. After the parade, though, they start training in the capital, and they have uh, the weapons and kind of... He throws a heavy thing. He throws a heavy thing, which, again problems with just physiologically <laughs> no that big guy can throw heavier things he's bigger than you that's how it works or he's painting camouflage of a tree and they bring that up once later in when he's wounded and he looks like a rock man that was a bit much <laughs> for that, the one time they're like oh let's bring this up that was in the book and i remember thinking did he just slather mud on his face? And then in the movie, he looks like he's one of the rock creatures from NeverEnding Story. Yeah. And I was like, that's... Wow. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's good at camouflage. <laughs> he's like, I'm, I'm losing blood and injured, and I have to find uh, food and shelter, but I'm going to take 15 hours <laughs> and uh, find this uh, mirror I brought and then paint individual seams of rock. I would, I would like to ask the actual makeup artists on this film, how long did it take to do that yeah. to him? And how many of you were doing that to him, not to yourself? To there's have to be like a half dozen people all moving around. Four hours, easy. Yeah, I'm sure, maybe more. I don't really know much about makeup. Speaking of timing, though, they get to the training center and then they have three days to pick up various handicrafts of deadly weapons or camouflage or I think snares and medicine and identify. Th three days for all of those, not three days each, mind you. <laughs> 
And again, he does, oh, look at me. I can draw things that look like well, remember, trees. Is that one day he spent <laughs> on that arm? Because you just wasted. Again, they have weights and things like, you're not going to bulk up in three days. You either did it already or you're not going to have it. He did uh, decorate cakes. Right. No, so that's, that's true. why he knows. That was sort of a ridiculous. Right. I knew how to decorate cakes, so therefore I know how to camouflage myself. I mean, uh, maybe they have a very small paintbrush in the house and, like, he uses that for cakes, but, yeah, things like shadows and perspective, I don't think, were <laughs> covered in the cakes. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a really short period of time. It It's almost like, why even bother with it at all? Because well, no one's going to learn any new skills. Everybody's just going in with the skills that they have. And the, the kids that trained as, you know, from the, the careers, from the, the careers from, the, from the lower number districts, they're just gonna dominate which is sort of what happens but it's like why even go through the farce of having three days um now that i think about it i mean they do rate the kids they have the game makers like give them a rating based on it so i guess calling it a training center is not the best idea it's the show us what you can do so we can make odds center but even then they they had like a one special thing where each person went in by themselves so it's like right skip the three days and just walk in and yeah do your thing submit a bio <laughs> Once they do the rankings thing, they have her go in and she gets angry that they're not paying attention to her. Uh, and they literally show a shot of the pig being moved in. They're all happy. They gather around the pig, but there's still enough room for you to see the pig on the table with the apple in its mouth. And she's angry. And then I think they have a close-up on the apple. I'm like, stop hitting me in the face with this. I know she's going to shoot the apple out of the pig's mouth. Just do that. And I'm not saying that because I read the book or anything. The framing was just so obvious. That it was insulting. I think they were trying to convey her thought process because there's not much going on in terms of her thought process. And, and honestly, while you're correct that they're hammering you over the head with it, it's one of the few times you know what's going on in her head. That's true. It just still felt ham-handed and like they could have been a little more subtle with it. The scene where she gets the 11, she comes in and she says, oh, they're going to hate me because I shot an arrow at them. All of the other characters gather around and say, no, it's fine, you impress them or whatever. And first of all, I'm pretty sure that's the opposite of the book. Like, the book was like, I can't believe what a psychopath you are, why are you shooting arrows at the people that are in, sitting in judgment at you? But also just sort of dramatically, it makes more sense for everybody to say, you're a fuck-up, you're going to be in trouble, and then suddenly reveal, oh, right. you're actually the best fighter. Everybody's like, no, no, you'll be fine. And then she is. <laughs> yeah, and Hamish even says, laughs and says, ha, that'll impress him. And then she gets an 11, and you're like, yep. Hamish <laughs> hey, was correct. Was right. Uh, and they try to justify it by having the president call Wes Bentley in and go, an 11? And, you know, I think there's a scene with them where he's questioning why, you know, it, it, he, you better know what you're doing. And he's like, she's impressive. It'll make for a good show. But they really don't convey why that would be, like, why she's better than Cato, the 210-pound muscle-bound guy who's trained his whole life to kill. <laughs> oh, she's got spunk. And that rates, I think, two points ahead. He was like a nine or something. And I'm like, I guess, I mean, spunk works on camera and everything, but is this a rating of how good they're going to be at killing people or how much the camera's going to love them till they die? Well, honestly, in, from my perspective... There's no ranged weapons. Like, nobody has a gun or anything like that. She could kill everyone from a distance. And honestly, there are points in the, in the movie and the book where I'm like, why doesn't she just 
she's got a dozen arrows, just kill everyone. Like, it'll, it'll be pretty easy. There, like, not easy. There but. are 23 other ones. So she'd be halfway done you were, if well, she had a dozen arrows. She but, killed, the, a dozen people were killed at the opening thing. Oh, uh, okay. And then, like, she doesn't have to kill 12 of them at once. Like, right. I'm saying the gang of careers, when there's, like, four of them, just wait. And you see them approaching, okay, I'm going to kill all of you now. Like, well, sit on top of the fucking cornucopia thing. No one can touch you. You're invincible, basically. Even if they came from all directions, it's a big enough field. Shoot, turn around, shoot again. Yeah. That scene where they're talking about getting the 11, at no point in the book do we ever see Seneca Crane outside of the one time where she's trying to impress the, the game makers. Like, he's right. just not a character. When I saw on IMDb that they cast Wes Bentley, I was like, oh, that's sort of a Weird. surprise. And, and you, in the book, you never see President Snow until, like, I think the second book. And even then, only a little bit. And they cast Donald Sutherland, and I'm like, well, if they're paying him however many millions of dollars, like, they maybe want to boost his part a little bit. And, but they're doing it in anticipation of, of how he becomes more important in the later books. But cutting to the villains, having a conversation that she could not possibly have any knowledge of just to explain their motivations is nuts to me. Like, it, it's just has, it takes me out of the story. And it's just, it's giving them bigger parts. And it's it's sort of explaining what they're up to because that scene is surmised in the book. The uh, Hamish and Katniss and Peta sort of discuss like, why the heck fuck did I get an eleven? I bet you they want to you know kill you, and so they're putting a big target on your back. Or you know yeah, they also they think theorize. it'll be a good show. Like there's a discussion of what are they thinking, and, which is sort of interesting. And like I understand there's a whole principle of show yeah. don't tell uh, that. Doesn't it's not a universal like a yep. rule. Not this time. Yes, it doesn't. It doesn't apply here. It's more interesting that we don't know what they're up to because they're crazy and they're killing children and whatever. Like we don't know what they could be doing, and so we're just guessing at their reasons. But it may be something else altogether, and that's more suspenseful and more scary. And every time they cut to President Snow and Seneca talking about what their devious plans are, I'm, I'm less impressed with them. Yeah. It. It's funny that you were talking about show, don't tell, because it also, there's a different kind of movie rule of it's more scary if you don't know what's in the shadows or like Jaws, you know, and a lot of... You don't see the shark, yeah. Right, you don't see the shark, and that's what made that so impactful, and so not, you know, having her guess at their motives and things would have put us in her shoes and made it, like you said, scarier or more frantic, but yeah, knowing and having them explain it kind of pulled some of the punch out of it. All the stuff about, like, the scene with the fireballs that, that happens later on, where the, there's the forest fire, there's the fireballs, and whatever, we cut to them shooting fireballs. In the book, she's just like, I guess I got too far, and they're, uh, and, they, and, and they're bored of me sitting in a tree. Like, this is, but, like, she's sort of surmising. In the, in the movie, we're like, this is what's happening. Go to fireball guy number one. Yeah, it's not a, there's no, like, trying to work things out. Yeah, I don't. I don't mind cutting to uh, during the course of the games. We cut to the announcers a couple of times. They explain what the mutant wasps are, and that's sort of fine because, like, there's no way to really sort of explain that in a, in an organic way. And it also conveys a sense of the where the audience is watching. It is a television show. The author Suzanne Collins says like she was inspired to write this because she was watching reality shows and she was like, I wonder how far they would take. Reality show, 300 years from now, like, how far are reality shows going to go? You actually get a better sense in the film of of it as a television show yeah. and how the audience reacts and stuff because it puts us in the audience's shoes 
And we also, they try to make us follow Katniss, but like, cutting to the villain does not accomplish either of those. It doesn't put us with Katniss, but it also doesn't put us with the audience. Right. When we see Wes Bentley interviewed at the beginning, the audience saw that. In fact, Katniss may have even seen right. that. But the villains in the garden, that's, no one has access to that. I, and I, I just taken out of, of what I'm supposed to be understanding. And I, I just, I hate that in movies generally. And in this movie in particular, I think it, it works against uh, all of the things that they were trying to do. Yeah, and it kind of takes the frame story up to being about West Bentley and the president. You talked about maybe they're setting up for future iterations where the president's bigger, but in the end she outsmarts them and says, oh, we're both going to kill ourselves unless you declare us the winners. They do that, and then West Bentley gets locked in a room with the berries. And, like, that's kind of the final punch is, oh, he got his comeuppance and it puts some more of the shot. It puts more of the impact with, like, him and President Snow's story for the final note in the movie instead of Katniss. Yeah, in the book she was fighting a faceless enemy, and I think that that was better. Like, they put a face on the enemy, and I was like, well, that's not... Uh, I don't. Th I don't want the emphasis on West Bentley. And then that scene at the end where he has the bowl full of berries, I was like, that's oh, kind of clever. But I don't think it justifies the amount of a screen time that they wasted on it, and then b the pulling us out of the story. Then she goes to Senna and uh, has the last thing with her. Yeah, which you already you you seem to like that moment, which I didn't buy at all. I didn't feel like they earned it, but I mean it happened. And then she goes, she climbs into the tube, and we come out into this big field with the robot cornucopia. There's a bit of editing that annoyed the crap out of me right then. They're cutting from face to face. Right. They do like four. Yeah. And then they stop, and I'm like, why didn't you do 24? No, they, they literally had a shot of them in an arc, and it's like the six or so we've met are in focus, then there's four that are out of focus, <laughs> and I'm like, there's supposed to be 24. Like, pull back. I have no sense of scale on where these other kids are coming from. We haven't covered what they any of them look like. Right. And then, yeah, once they say, like, oh, Eleven died today, I'm like, I guess we're never going to learn what those people were supposed to look like, and they don't have to pay for the actors. Right. And I, I'm sure that they had, like, a set uh, extras. Most TV shows where they have, like, an office kind of space, yeah. they will have extras that they hire on 24 when they're in CTU. Like, there's always a, one particular extra sitting at that desk. He gets paid $64 for the day, but, nice. like, he's they, they know that guy, and he yeah. shows up whenever they're shooting there. So they probably had, uh, on top of the like six people that had lines, they probably had 18 extras that right. were like, you're from District, you're from Nine, and uh, you're just always going to be from Nine, and when you'll be in the background, and you'll just be there every day we're shooting. Right. I bet you they did that, because yeah. extras are extremely cheap. <laughs> right. Still, like, it would have it would have heightened the intensity if they cut every single person. You sort of get a sense. If you haven't read the books, you know what's going to happen. You're like, holy shit, look at all of the number of children that are going to try and kill each other. And you see, you know, just as soon as you see a human face, you identify with it. Like right. you, especially a, a child, you're like, I hope that kid doesn't die. Oh wait, they're all going to yeah. die. And then five or 10 minutes later, whatever, after the big bloodbath, they cut to three dead bodies and then go on with their day. And I'm like, just show all 11 dead bodies. Right. Hammer home how gross it is that they've killed 11 children. Uh, PG-13. Ah, they didn't show, like, you don't have to show right. the, the gaping wounds or whatever. But Just maybe show their faces. I can see showing, oh, here, lay on the ground and be dead, child. Let's show 11 of them in quick succession. The MPAA might go, that's a bit much. We're giving you three. 
You know, like, I could see there being a limit on, even if you're not going to show a gaping wound in their chest or their throat slashed open, uh, just saying, like, dead, 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 this child, dead. <laughs> like, they could be well, like... Well, they showed their faces in the sky. Right, but those are digitally projected pictures of, hey, here's the kid when he was, when like, he was happy when alive. He was alive. <laughs> okay, so maybe there's a point there, but the opening part where the, the 24 of them, yeah. like, they should have shown each one, you would have wet your pants when the when the horn went off after that. Like, it would have been really exciting. Right, and just tactically, again, or strategically, I would like to know where they're coming at. Like, they showed half the arc. I would have liked an overhead map-down shot of, here's the cornucopia, and then just, burn, and, you know, like, right. seeing little them the size of ants or whatever moving towards the thing, and then four going that way, and would have been kind of battlefield-wise yeah. interesting to see. If we want to actually get into the games... I had a lot of problems with the tactical <laughs> decisions these kids made. There was the girl that throws knives. That's a ranged weapon, but with a not short. Well, I don't know. And, and people like there's a dude who has a spear, but like nothing is near near the range that a bow and arrow has. Like, right. It's just or ridiculously accuracy. overpowered. Yet when we get into the thing, she can't get to. You know, they start off and she right. Gets, she can't get it right away, and I totally understand that. And then, uh, but. That's the only smart move anyone makes is that she doesn't go right for the weapons and everything like that. And I'm like, why did the small, curly-haired ginger kid's trainer tell him, run straight for those weapons and just hide behind a crate? Like, <laughs> nobody else had a trainer that said, you know what? Running straight for the weapons probably not a good idea. She's Like, this was a groundbreaking decision that Hamish had of, like, hey, turn around and get food and stuff and just haul out of there. Well, like, some of them, I feel like, like some kids will think, oh, I can handle it. And then they just couldn't, you know, for whatever yeah. reason, didn't work out. And then I'm sure that there are some kids who uh, don't, just don't listen to their trainer. I mean, that's going to happen. They, but yeah, a dozen of them, like, that's a lot of people making the same mistake. Yeah, they did kind of try and convey how confusing or, you know, uh, when she goes up on the platform, they drop out the sound again and they have it very tight on her kind of shaky camera. And it, you feel... The, you know, your pulse quicken and like you're in a starting gate uh, for a horse race. And it does feel tension. So I could see someone losing their training and whatever anyone said to them or stepping off, I guess, their minds. Right. That, and I'm like, that might happen because there's nothing. You're just on a three foot circle and it's like, oh, if you step off, you're dead. Don't do that. Like, I can imagine somebody just, yeah. Right, so I could see making (laughs) mistakes because the amount of pressure on them, but the number of them was ridiculous. Also, that cornucopia, what is wrong with the production designer? That is the craziest fucking thing I've ever seen. It looks like if you asked a robot to design a cornucopia. I wondered when I first heard the word cornucopia, was it going to be a big wicker bat? <laughs> and then they say, like, they show it and it looks kind of like a spaceship that has dropped <laughs> from Aliens or a different movie. And then I go, oh no, it's actually shaped that way. They're trying for both, like... It's uh, it's a little odd, but I could see it as the game makers being ridiculous or trying to be cute, and not just the production designer. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. It's a comment on how tasteless the, the game makers are. Right. Like, the, the production editor is like, well, I'm going to do a shitty version so that it reflects poorly on them. Um, That's actually one thing that I also didn't get from the movie as much was that this was all manufactured for this game. Like, I thought, okay, they have an arena that's some wilderness that they drop them in, and this is either always the thing, or they have different sections of it, but they showed clips of, like, where a kid is bludgeoning another kid with a rock in some city ruins. I'm like, where's that city ruins part? 
And uh, they have a line where the commentators are like, oh, remember the one in the desert? That was so boring because everyone was just dying of thirst. Or maybe one about a, a snow level. But <laughs> I just still felt like, oh, this is part of their, you know, area that they fenced off to be part of it. And I didn't really get that they change it up each year and even have different themes or rules. I thought it was just maybe, oh, in this section instead. Are you aware that the forest does not have fireballs? Like, that's not a common that thing. That was <laughs> the big problem I had with that, is that once they started, they, they're like playing, and uh, then she's getting too far off, and they're like, oh, bring her back in. I'm like, how are you going to do that? Do you have guys out there with... St and then fire is raised <laughs> towards her, and I'm like, oh, this reminds me a lot of the Truman Show all of a sudden. Uh, and then he, it's like a wall of fire. I'm like, that's pretty good boundary setup. Is not only, you know, it could be natural... Just like, oh, there's a fire over here, so you can't go that way. And then he's like, tree. And they launch it, a tree falls over at her. I'm like, they have, wait, they have control over, it's not like they just turn flamethrowers on at the edge. They actually have control over the individual trees. And then he goes, fireball. And they launch <laughs> fireballs at her head. And I'm like, if I'm a viewer at home, what am I thinking that is? Like, the, the forest fire is like, oh, there just happened to be a forest fire. That was odd. And then the tree, trees fall, fireball. <laughs> <laughs> and not just, hey, scare her back in. He is trying to kill her at that point. And he's like, fireball, fireball. If they're coming at her face, she's boxing the corner, he's fireball, and she barely makes it out alive. And I'm like, I thought everyone's rooting for, like, hey, which kid will survive? If he kills all of them with fireballs, does that guy sitting at a desk win? Like, I thought people are tuning in to watch kids brutally murder each other, not... Uh, jackass at his desk shooting fireballs. I can't remember if they mentioned it in the movie or not, where there was a kid who was sort of a psychopath and was actually eating the dead bodies. And uh, uh, That did not after, come up in the movie. After he killed the kid, he would start eating the body and they would have to, like, taser him so they could take the body away. And they triggered a landslide to crush him so that he wouldn't win because he was going to win. And they were like, we don't want a, a crazy cannibal to be the, like, winner that we show off to people. See, um, that is still feels kind of invisible to the audience. And, yeah, it's, of, hey, a landslide got him good because that kid was out there. Even <laughs> if they could have edited out the eating bodies part, if they're like, that's that's just distasteful. Murdering kids, yes. But <laughs> eating them, that's just weird. So, yeah, I, I still feel like the fireball is not natural and so was weird. Actually, I want to ask you, in that cornucopia sequence, she looks over at PETA and he sort of makes like a no gesture. Yeah. In the book, and again, this goes back to the problem of we can be in her head in the book and we can't in the movie, she doesn't trust Peta at this point. And she thinks that Peta is working with Hamish, and they were and since Hamish said don't grab the backpack, she then leapt to they're trying to kill me, so I am going to grab a backpack, and that's what gets her into trouble. Did any of that to someone who hadn't read the book, did any of that play to you? When you saw him shake his head. She was told not to grab a backpack? Oh. Hamish said, run. Don't do anything, just run. And in the book, she, her going and grabbing the backpack is sort of a fuck you to Hamish. Ah, no. I <laughs> thought he said, don't go for a bow, which is clearly in the cornucopia. Right. That's the death zone. He said, run and get some water. I see her run and pick up a backpack. I'm like, oh, it's a backpack full of food and water, I guess. And that's what he said to do. Oh, no. He was saying, go find a pond or a river. Yeah, I, I thought it was, there's weapons in there, but you will get killed. Further out is a ring of supplies. You may get those. And I thought he was like, get that. It's good enough. And then move on. 
What did you think Peter, Peter's whole thing, like when he looks at her and she? I thought she was considering going for the bow anyway. She sees the weapons and is like, maybe I can make it. And then he says, no. That's sort of part of it in the book. But in the book, she was supposed to not do anything. So okay. Was, uh, I did not pick that up. Yeah, I was, I, that was one of those parts where I was like, I don't know how this reads to some... Because I'm, re, I'm, again, reading too much into it because I know what the characters right. are thinking. It still kind of read as she wanted to go for something. He said no, but I didn't read any kind of distrust into it. I thought she went, oh, well, he shook his head no, so I'm just going to get the backpack. Oh, yeah, she's and, saying F you to both of them. All right. That's... No, I did not get that at all. <laughs> yeah. But she does get the backpack, which has... Uh, I was like, oh, it's not just water and stuff. It had knife and rope and things, so... She starts setting stairs. No, it didn't have a knife. The only reason she had a knife uh, is because the chick threw the knife at her. Okay. Which is kind of awesome. Uh, That's true. In the in the book, she shouts out, thanks for the knife. And I was like, why did you cut that out? That's kind of hilarious. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that was, uh, I thought that was well done, but that line would have made it better. Yeah. Uh, so she said A up, little Schwarzenegger-y. Like. Yeah. <laughs> she sets up uh, some traps and everything, and then she starts going up in trees. And then we she sees the careers going by in their pack and like, Clearly, they're talking about hunting her down, and then it's revealed that Peta's with them, and they're like, uh, you better prove your worth, lover boy. And this is where I just said, you know what, this is really dumb. There are the four of them who, I'm like, I guess their careers or so, and they're partnering up for now. They're t having him tag along because they're like, we could kill you at any time. But then they're just walking, and I think he is the last one in the row of the four, or the five of them, and he has a spear. And I'm like, stab each of them in the back of the brainstem as they are walking. Or just one of them and then run away and say, ha ha, bitches. I was waiting for him to do that because she sees him walking and it's, it's like, what a dick. He betraying her. And in the movie, it comes across, you talked about how she doesn't know if he's being nice to her because it's an angle. And this, I guess, in the book would have been like, yeah, he's clearly... Oh, in the book, yeah. she's. Although, at a certain point during the reading of the book, you realize that anything she thinks about someone's opinion is wrong. Like, she has, like, a weird Asperger's where she just doesn't understand human emotion. Right. <laughs> and she believes that he was tricking her when he's genuinely in love with her. And... Uh, I see that being uh, <laughs> real and very much depth for the character yes, yeah. and endearing for the book. In this... I just kind of read it as he is, I mean, because I read all his interactions as being sweet and she kind of saw them, I thought, for what they were. So this did feel like a betrayal um, instead of a confirmation of what she was thinking. But then I'm like, he could be playing an angle, you know, and just kill him in their sleep. And I'm like, well, no, they have to, like, keep a knife to his throat or they're going to, like, tie him up at nights or something will happen. They end up, like, finding her and treeing her and then he's like, well, let's wait her out. And I'm like, well, he's trying to just buy time. And I'm like, no, they're smart enough. They're going to tie him up at night so that he can't. We cut to the morning where everyone is asleep. <laughs> Every one of the careers and him are sleeping on the ground. She is asleep in the tree. No one has slashed anyone's throat <laughs> in the night. They all just, oh, now, yeah, I can sleep. It's fine. I'm really tired. What the hell? I, I was like, this is the worst movie or game ever. These are the stupidest kids ever. They all deserve to die. Peter should have killed all of them. Uh, he it, silently slicing throats in the middle of the night. Like, there was the one girl that throws knives, had her hand on her knife, you know, when she's sleeping. They make a shot of that. I'm like, I don't care where you keep your hand. <laughs> Sliced throat, like, you know, and 
You wouldn't even really have to do it quietly because even the amount of time it takes to wake up, you can still kill all of them. Yeah. Loud as you want. No, I would... Very... You could be singing, I'm killing everyone. They'd still be asleep. They'd be groggy, but I could would start with the biggest guy. Oh, and yeah. just go over and in the middle of the night, slash his throat, hold my hand over his mouth till he stopped kicking and bled out, and then move on to the next one. And would then say, hey, Katniss, wake up. It's okay, I killed all of them. It's the worst shot in the entire movie, and it made me hate all of them. And they deserve to die. It, in the book, it's a lot more... Because he, when he says, I don't want to train with you anymore, that's where sort of the betrayal starts. And it's implied that he then went and ingratiated himself to their team, which is also part of why I thought it was a longer period of time, because I was like, it must have taken like a week to get make friends with them, right. where they would... Form, they would let him into their pack. I, that's supposed to be happening off screen, and we're supposed to infer that, but it, it's not. It did not come no. across. And then, again, just the strategic decisions these people that are supposed to be career at this make are terrible. Well, see, that's the thing. They are supposed to believe that he's joined... They, they are supposed to genuinely believe that he's joined their team and that the, he is playing the lover boy angle, and the, calling him lover boy is ironic. They don't believe... Ah. They, they, they believe that he's on Smart, their side. Man. And he's, he's like, I've got w one easy kill right off the bat. I can, I can track her down. She'll trust me and we'll kill her. So that's like one point in our favor. Let me join your team. Like that's, that's, that's their perception of it. And that did not. That's a lot more depth than anything <laughs> the movie implied. I w it was not clear. And yet, even if they thought that and it did come across, I'm like, okay, sure, we'll let you on. You still need one person to wait, because yeah. there's other people. <laughs> like, even if I were with the other four careers and didn't take him on, I would be like, you know what, let's just for fun tie you guys up, or <laughs> two of us will be awake at any time. But guess what? If I'm one of those people with the other person, I'm going to be staring at them the whole time. <laughs> and then if I'm one of the people sleeping, I'm not really going to be sleeping, because I'm going to listen for them both to say, you know what, the two of us could just actually kill the two of them, and then we'd be good. We won't hurt each other. Like, the number of times they just trust people to turn their back on them and go to sleep in this movie was stupid. I do wonder, because it has happened, it's been going on for 74 years, and this like teaming up thing, it's implied that it happens a lot, I wonder if, if the regular progression of events is basically what happens on Survivor, which is you team up and you stick with your team. Right, you make an alliance. And then you kill everybody, or in Survivor you vote them off. Right. Um, and, and then you sort of turn on each other, but... Just from watching a couple seasons of Survivor, that little group half the time implodes on itself. Right. Which is on Survivor, somebody gets voted off and gets sent to a hotel for the next 30 days. Uh, there is death consequences in this. No one seems to consider, regardless of PETA, like just the four of them, no one ever thinks, you know, either I should kill everybody and save myself the trouble, or they, they might. might think of killing, particularly Cato. Like yeah. he should be aware that. The four of them could get along fine without him and still kill the other 15 right. kids or whatever is left. Like, he doesn't even think about it, that they're maybe, like, just take him out so that they don't have to deal with him later on in the game. Yeah, no, that would have been my first move. Even if they had PETA at uh, Knife Point and that's the only reason he was in their group. The second I was the last person in the pack or walking in the line, they're like, don't mind me. Stab! Stab, <laughs> stab, stab, and run off. And be like, ha-ha, I took out the biggest guy! And I'm sure the other three would be like, Oh, actually, that is better for us, too, as well. <laughs> so, can't fault him too much. Uh, but, yeah, like I said... The, the when you have the knowledge that everyone's going to kill everyone at the end anyways, like yeah. it's hard to not just sort of go for it. 
Right, and unless there's a strategic reason, like so you would die in the attempt because they have knives to your throat, right. but when they're sleeping, that's not the case, and that's why that was just terrible. After that horrible scene, she then drops the, the, the bees on them, which was, I thought, I thought, that was a clever bit, and I liked how well, uh, like, she thought it through and came up with a plan, and, like, she did sort of remorselessly kill everybody. And it contributed to the relationship with Rue, who was sort of clever before, earlier in the training center, she had done something. But, she like, stole, stole something and got people into a fight or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, like, now they're working together, and you... Like, that relationship felt more realistic than just about anything else in this movie, because I could see how... They didn't talk to each other because they're like, we're going to kill each other. But at that stage, they're like, hey, let's work together. We sort of like, you know, right. let's see how far we can take this. And that made sense. Yeah. Um, and, and they got along. Uh, I, I sort of bought that more than anything. Yeah. And dropping the hunter jackers on them. It was it's weird. dumber than that. It's tracker jackers. Tracker jackers. Yeah. yeah. Cracker jackers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dropping those on them was kind of clever, although she kept getting stings. Like, by the fifth time she stung, I'm like, you just stop this? Like, get a branch and <laughs> knock it off? Like, Well, the if she had just sort of poked... I mean, I don't know if you could get it loose with a stick. Like, the problem was, they she couldn't angry them up while they were up right. by her. No, I was like, do you really have to saw through that whole three-inch branch? They showed the thing is melded into the log. It's not right. like it's hanging from a little right. stick. Uh, <laughs> But I think it was also weird. She got bit in the neck like five times, five of the seven bites or whatever. She kept slapping the same spot. And I'm like, do they go for the neck? Like, anyway, uh, it seemed she got pretty messed up during it. Yeah. It did kill the blonde girl instantly or something and messed up everyone else. Well, there, one of the other girls, someone else dies farther away. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So it was a good move and it dispersed them so she could get out of the tree and then get away. Then she uh, has the weird hallucination where yeah. Peta saves her and she's not sure if it actually happened or not. That was just kind of weird for me because I was so fixated on why isn't Peta cutting their throats in the night or what's well, his angle? Point, I thought he had an angle on he was going to kill them and now he's so running at that back point, towards you were her. convinced that he was on her side. Like yes. you, you did not consider that he had actually betrayed her. Correct. Oh, okay. And so I was like, how does this play into his angle now <laughs> with him coming running back and saying, run? I'm like, how many did you stab while they were slapping at bites? And then to find out the answer is none or something. I'm like, what the hell is going on with it? And he says, run. I'm like, see, he's helping her. And yet, uh, then he has a wound on his leg later. And I'm like, one of the dude, he fights one of the dudes after. Uh, do, doesn't one of the other guys come up behind him when he's telling her to run? Or does that not happen? I, I think we see someone, yeah. and he runs off, but it's not clear if they engage in combat or how she, I think she runs hallucinated away and stumbles. And then she wakes up and Rue has been taking care of her. Yeah, for like a day or something. Yeah, but it's not clear if PETA fought anyone or if anyone was directly behind her. It just wasn't clear what was going on with the hallucinations and who else might have died. I think Rue then says, oh, you've been out for a day or two and says who died uh, because they broadcasted it at night. Then Rue tells her, I think the careers have all the stockpiles and everything and they've got it out in the field by fate. And she goes down to look at it and see if she can't get something, even though it's clearly a trap. But she sees the clever girl that's good with puzzles run out there and, like, jump around things. And then Rue might have even said that they, were, they had taken the mines and reburied them. I think the announcers explained that. Okay. So either way, we uh, see the clever girl follows the footsteps around the mines up to the thing. So it's like, oh, she is clever. And steals something and then goes up. And Katniss is trying to think of how to get up there or something. But then she ultimately comes up with the plan of shooting the bag of apples. And 
I just looked at that and went, really? We're, we're A, going back to the apples, like from the pig's mouth. Is this a, an Adam and Eve thing? Or is this Hunger Games and uh, its food is weaponized because you are starving and that's what this is all about. So it's a metaphor. But she wastes a I don't see what's wrong with that. It's just uh, odd and stuck out. Well, mainly because it was kind of ridiculous. She shoots several arrows and she's trying to cut the bag. And then the apples go falling down in slow motion. I'm like, oh no, those apples will... Wait, you're telling me those are going to set off the mines. I'm like, I thought that's what she's going for, but I thought that was kind of lame. Because there are four ounces or something, and mines that sensitive would be pretty useless. Because <laughs> the earth would just shake or something, and they would go off. Second off, they fall down and they hit the mines that are apparently underneath the stockpile of goods in a Coriolis pattern of... Each mine then sets off every other mine to where, what kind of trap was this? Someone running up would have set off the mine apparently from the vibrations of their feet 20 yards out <laughs> and would have blown up all the goods that I thought the, the careers had put the goods in the middle, ringed them with mines to be like, now no one can get at our goods and it will draw them out to hit the mines or will kill them. I didn't think they had a salty earth plan of, let's... <laughs> destroy all of the goods like any food weapons like pile them up on top of these mines so that anyone comes to get them destroys everything it's gonna be great <laughs> i thought they were still planning on using that stuff and it was just well protected and used as bait i think that's why he killed the kid i think he was like you were not supposed to blow up everything you were supposed to blow up the person and then he kills the kid like I, that's what i interpreted that because you don't you don't hear the conversation in the book and, right. and you, you certainly don't hear it in the movie that's how I thought, that's what I thought was happening, was that he was like, why did you put mines under the food? Um, <laughs> and, and it also seemed like, in the film, that there was more than one mine under the food. Oh, like, yeah. It was, like, it was a fantastic <laughs> explosion. Uh, it was a pretty fucking big explosion. That was one other thing, is that Katniss is blown back, and from what I can tell, she is 18 feet away from the field. <laughs> yes. She is five feet out of the woods into the clearing, and they don't see her. First off, and then second that's off... That's sort of poor framing. I think she's supposed to be yeah. in the woods, and I think that's just poor composition. Yeah, I, I guessed that they were supposed to be more uh, distance, but also you're saying he's blaming the kid, he breaks that kid's neck. Uh, I didn't know what that kid... He's the only one that placed the mines. They didn't all say, let's work together and mine these things. I think the announcers explained that that kid is from the district where they make uh, weapons, okay. and that he knew how they worked. And that they said... I think they said... And it's inferred in the book, but I think the announcer said, this kid dug them up and then replanted them. And that's why they let him... This is all... I see in the again, book. I'm, I'm all... I'm conflating a lot of things. It's clear that the kid is useless. Like, he's tiny. And in the film, he is a tiny kid. Like, right. there's no reason for him to be around except that he knows something. And so they're letting him live longer than they would normally. And he's got this plan of, we're going to blow up a bunch of things. But he did it wrong and put the minds too close together. And I so got, that's why he killed him. I got none of that. I thought the kid was just a helper in the career group and... Oh, you think he was just random, like, I'm killing a man? Yeah, I, kind of thing? I don't know if the announcer said that the, that this kid works with mines and so could dig them up. I thought they all worked together and it was a plan that the careers had said, hey, let's move the mines around. Oh, okay. No, so, like, it was, uh, it was supposed to be a no one has ever thought of this before, but this kid right. knows how the mines work. All right. Uh, they might have, maybe the announcer said that and it slipped by me, but either way... They blow everything up. It made me think all of them are stupid. And the <laughs> but I think I think I think it is that that child was stupid and that and that Kato 
following your instructions punishes him for his stupidity. Right. <laughs> Finally, something's making sense. Uh, but then she retreats back. And also, switch. I feel like several. You were saying that like the apples four ounces. I feel like it was a bag of apples. I don't think one single apple set off the mine. I think it was right. The it's just the collaboration of them. It seemed like a very out there reaching kind of step for her to be like, I know what'll do it. I'll waste several arrows on this. It may happen. It, one th- I would not have been sure if I were firing those arrows. Again, it's like what, another thing that would help with voiceover is her saying, like she does in the book, I'll try, I have three, I'm going to waste three arrows. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work and we're going to think of something else. But three is my limit. And so like in the book, it's tense when she, she hits it and then she hits it again and you're like, okay, she really has to, this one counts. And like in the movie, you have no idea. It's just, oh, it's the third one. And like, you know, things come in threes, so you sort of expect that the third one will happen. But like, there's no sense of stakes of, eh, she has a fourth one. (laughs) Right. Uh, the other thing I was thinking is, you could have killed that kid with the three arrows. There's the one small kid standing guard. He turns his back on her and walking around. She can't just shoot him in the eye? Didn't he wander off to chase after the girl or something? Because he didn't get blown up, so he wasn't right, right there. No, yeah, but she might have been planning to shoot him, and then the other he did go to investigate the other girl, so now she's like, oh, what else should I do? Although, but, like, as the girl's bouncing around, she could have shot the girl... Girl falls over onto the super sensitive That lines. would have been a little heartless. And then also killed the kid simultaneously. Right. So she blows up everything. Blows up everything. Bad planning, which is supposed to be the point, but yes. It, it seemed like it was the bad planning, but I blamed the entire group and <laughs> went like, this was a stupid plan. You're all stupid. <laughs> it furthered my thesis that all of them deserve to die. So, uh, then she, your favorite movie because yeah. everybody dies deservedly. <laughs> She then goes uh, to find Rue and uses the Mockingjays, I yeah. think, call. And for having such a big part, and I understand it's like the name of the second book, right? And it's her pen. Yeah. Um, and seems like a, a symbol of, the, like when she got the pin, they're just like, I thought it was going to be, she got it in the market or whatever. I thought it was going to be like, oh, that's, that's actually an old rebellion, like secret code thing. It is. Oh, all right. Well, then. <laughs> Uh, no, not explained in the movie. It at all. seemed like I that. feel like they'll bring it up in the second one because it, it it fits a little better in the second one. Yeah, it seemed like it was going towards that, but I think even at the end of the movie, the president goes, "Nice pin," and I'm like, "If it were, he would have arrested her or something. Like someone would have brought it up because she's been wearing it throughout the Capitol at this point." But uh, so she goes back looking for Rue, uses the mocking jays, and I never understood their plan to begin with. They're like, "Oh, they will." repeat any sound you you know song you sing uh so just you do this and then they'll repeat it and then i'll know you're good and i'll repeat it back and then you'll know i'm good i'm like no you won't you'll know that they're repeating and they're just gonna keep repeating each other like well they sing it for a little while and they they lose it they the yeah, birds forget it so, so if you if you sing it and it sort of goes away and then a and minute then a, of silence is supposed to or pass. just sort of random nonsense that they just right. birds twittering and, and then, then it, it comes back I, I could see, and I was like, I guess that's what they're supposed to do. I think when they were rehearsing it, it did not go that way. <laughs> One of them would be like, I'll do this, and uh, I cannot whistle, by the way. <laughs> and then the birds will do it, and then you'll go, through, and they do it again. And I'm like, the birds were still going from the first one. This is just a cacophony right now. I don't know who's alive. Uh, but she doesn't get the return call, and so she has to go find Rue, and she finds her under a net, which... Seems like anyone could have escaped. Right. There's net lying on top of her. 
<laughs> and I was like, is it a really heavy net? Is it made out of I, chains? I do often wonder how nets work ever. I think there's I think there's supposed to be weights on the outside when you actually make a net to trap a person. Right. In the most dangerous game. But, like, I I don't know. Like, Looking at it, that one, I, I can see, again... A, she's a, a small girl. <laughs> a net made out of chains, like heavy toe chains or something. Yeah, that, well, is, that would probably kill her just in the uh, yeah. <laughs> Drop it from 10 feet or something, and yes, bruised head crushed to the ground, but then when you're trying to raise your hands up, there's 60 pounds of linked chain together, you know, so yeah, you're kind of stuck, or uh, something, but, so, I'm like, and she didn't have a knife or anything, any form of cutting tool? Apparently so, not, yeah. Yeah. It didn't seem like the world's most inescapable trap to be screaming about, because she also is yelling for her, and I'm like, you're yelling for whoever set this net, yeah, exactly. uh, I'm sure they're closer and more aware of what's going on than just yeah. hopefully the one person out here who does like me will hear me yelling. And of course, if the if the guy who trapped you in the net is not coming, that's because he's lying in wait. <laughs> like, right. You should know. She's staked out, and I'm like, this is clearly a trap. Not just a trap for Rue. Like, they put her out there and then left. They're like, we could go kill her, but she's yelling for someone else. Wait a minute. <laughs> and she goes up and she's cutting her free. I'm like, you're falling right into it. This is... It's a big open meadow where the girl staked out in the middle, and I didn't even, at first, read it as a net fell on her. I read it as, oh, they caught her, and they're like, oh, you're working with that other girl. Let's put her down here, and then just wait, you know. So she shows up, and then um, the guy One of the dudes throws comes a lance at her or something, but it hits Rue, and he, she turns around and quick fires an arrow, and you're like, ah, finally we're going to get to that line that Peter said of, she always shoots and hits everything in the eye. And the guy clutches the arrow in his chest and falls to the ground. I have a double problem. First of all, it's probably a rating thing. That it yeah, no, I, again, PG-13. But he throws a spear into Rue's chest. A spear. Yeah. And she's alive for a good long while. Arrow into the chest, insta-death. Well, like, how did that... That doesn't make any sense. It, if you hit the heart, <laughs> it stops. If you hit the spleen or... She diaphragm was, or something you're yeah. you're gonna bleed like, out i don't know that it hit his heart directly it, like I, it seemed it still first of all it still takes some time like yeah. he should have been like gurgling and shit yeah. like it didn't make any sense like i'm sort of fine with arrow in the chest instant death except that you also have in this same scene nice someone spirit. getting stabbed in the chest and not dying like you can't do both within 30 seconds of each other in the in the book it's actually a step further it makes the whole net thing retarded the kid has pinned Rue down and has stabbed her in the leg, so she's in pain and is screaming for help, like, sort of nonsensically. Yeah. And the dude's just waiting for, for uh, Katniss to show up, and he's, as, soon as, Kat, as soon as he sees her, he stabs Rue. Like, uh, and, and maybe that would have been a little much, except that she still gets a spear through the chest, so I don't really understand why one is sort of okay for the ratings and one uh, isn't. Torturing a child to lure out someone else is probably a little much. I don't know. But even then, he could have not... He could just be... You know, his yeah. hand is on her... Or his foot is on her back, and he's just waiting. Yeah. Like, and it's also... It, it is kind of a dumb move that he's standing right next to the screaming person, and the person you're trying to draw in is the one person who has a long-range yeah. weapon. No. But, 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 like, it's still, like... I was, like... It, it, made, it was so much more impactful in the book that, like... She sees Rue first and then sort of puts together what's going on and then stab. Like, in a film, you can imagine that it would be, like, on the face, pan up, spear down. And, like, it, you, you just sort of have just enough time to process it, and then it's, it, it's instantly gone instead of this nonsense of the net and, like, taking right. time to cut it open. And He happens to show up right then. Yeah, like, it, uh, it and was... 
why, if you had one spear throw, would you go for the smaller, weaker one? You know, right. Because that doesn't have a bow. <laughs> uh, so it, it doesn't sound like this guy thought it through either way. But at least in the movie, he was kind of rushed up and uh, just threw. So. Right. One thing about Rue dying, or just the casting of Rue, that I'm going to bring up just briefly to not even acknowledge, is uh, <laughs> the number of people that are angry that she's black uh, in the film. There's been on Twitter and Facebook just people spouting outright racism, saying, like, why did they change it for the movie and make her black? Uh, it made her dying less less sad. And, like, just <laughs> things like that from people that are apparently KKK members or something <laughs> where they, th they think that it's PC over the top being shoved down their throats of, like, oh, you have to have uh, put black people in the film or affirmative action it up. The, the small amount of the book I have read, it... It refers to her having dark brown skin, dark brown hair, like three times. So those people are just not only ignorant and racist, just can't read. <laughs> Poor reading comprehension. Right. So I don't recall the race of any of them, and I was sort of like, yeah, you could randomly assign. It was a little weird, I thought, that one district happened to have, like, the two minorities that we saw yeah. are both from the same district. Well, they even show when... Uh, like, there's no intermingling in the... <laughs> they show when, when she uh, puts flowers for Rue and, you know, like, honors her death. Uh, the, they show District 11, and it is actually 80% black, I think. So I read that as, oh, that's, you know, they grouped the black people together in that district or whatever uh, after the war. But I didn't see any Asian or Latinos. Right. Was there's, there was one... <laughs> Those race, are the four races, right? <laughs> They got wiped out. Uh, so I don't know what the history is there, but at least they kind of acknowledged it of like, oh, yeah, they both are from there because the population is more black, or so you have a better chance of it being right. black. But it, still, it felt a little tokenism to me because, like, not one of the bad kids was black. Yeah. And, like, that feels a little PC that it's like, if you're just sort of a random sampling of 24 right. kids... There's a, some chance that one of the bad kids is not a white kid, right? And and they're, they're, that feels a little like they're trying to like no minorities are evil. They're all, yeah. You know. Yeah, I think in terms of sampling, they could have had uh, one of them be a different race or something. I think the girl with the throwing knife has dark hair and maybe something going on with oh. a darker skin of oh maybe she was I, I, it's like italian or Spanish i'm a terrible racist because i can't tell what race anybody is nice. <laughs> uh so but it did come across like it's their culture is still racially segregated because district 11 is almost district 12 and one of the apparently they get worse as they go out and all the kids from district one or the or two the career ones are uh blonde hair blue-eyed you know genetic supermen. Uh, so it feels like they were kind of saying, yes, this culture still uh, values those or views race. And then, um, so having a black character that was bad would have been fine. Probably not one of the careers, but in a different way of trying to yeah. kill her because they are. Or something, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was just sort of, I don't know. It, I mean, I honestly wouldn't have been... I wouldn't have a problem with either Gail or Peta having been black. Like I wouldn't. Right. Have, I, again, I don't remember any race in the book, but either one of them could have been some minority, and I'd be like, well, okay, whatever. Yeah, and usually I don't have a problem with casting if I've read something or there's something going on, uh, or if there's a property I know and they decide to mix it up just for... Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was kick-ass. 
the one problem I did have is in, uh, I saw a production of Les Mis where I think it's Eponine, the young girl that's trying to woo the boy, but he likes Cosette. And then they grow up and they went from having young children act them and then it flashes forward to their like late teens or something. Sure. And it was a white girl when she was young, and now she's played by an African-American. <laughs> and not just like, oh, well, let's put him in the same clothes. She's dressed radically different, and she's got a non-French accent. She's doing, like, <laughs> an affected, like, Bayou Creole thing or something that the young girl did not have. And they're calling her the same name, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, cast her that way in the first place, or whatever, but why change... Like, I'm already going to be confused by the age change between scenes. Right. But you had to change races, too. I thought you were going to say, like, within the same family, they weren't the same race. Like, the actual no, same person the changed character. <laughs> and I'm sure they're like, oh, well, she was the best actress for the part, and we're not going to acknowledge race or anything like that. I might even be okay with that. But she was acting it differently. <laughs> right. And it just was weird. So that much, I would have a problem with, just for continuity. <laughs> but everything anyone said about this, they're just racist. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I, I can't imagine that affecting. You mentioned uh, they cut to District 11. And that also bothered me in the same way that cutting to uh, the president and the game maker bothered me, because we don't see that. And in terms of pacing for the entire series, it, and you don't know what's coming I, up, but there is a... Uh, so, extra spoiler warning for everybody who's listening to this who doesn't know what happens in the second and third book. It builds up to a the second one. There's like rumblings of a of a uh, of of a rebellion, and then the third one is a full on war. But like, if they're already smashing shit and like rioting in the first one, I, they don't Where have they gonna go? very far to go. Yeah. It's a weird. It was weird to me not knowing any of that because I was like. It flashed back to apparently this totalitarian government doesn't have a whole lot of control because <laughs> when your kid dies, your district apparently writes. It's like the Lakers winning or something. <laughs> and this happens. So it felt, it didn't feel like this is the only time it's ever happened. Uh, yeah, in it the didn't, movie. Did it, now that you mentioned it. Uh, so it, it undermined the totalitarian government brutal thing again. Uh, and then, yeah, it flashed forward. I read this as, yeah, this, they're going to have a rebellion. And I guessed that for the second and third movie it kind of also just made it weird flashing forward to the end where they you know she says haha we'll we'll beat them by this we'll both survive five but then Hamish says do you know what you've done you've embarrassed them like you have a big target on your back and i'm like she's gonna be like some center point to a new rebellion and i'm waiting for that like to be hinted at the end like the president she has to go out and say they were in love and they kind of try and patch over it uh and then the president is giving her a medal or something like that and acknowledges the pin. And I thought, oh, this is going to be, like, there's going to be a glance or something where it's going to be like, no, yeah, she's going to lead the rebellion or he's going to try and kill her because he thinks that. And there wasn't. And then they're like, let's go home. And I was like, wait a minute. They get millions of dollars and then they go back home? I thought they just lived in the capital in like a, hey, I won the, the Hunger Games once. I'm now a capital person. That's kind of what I thought, but they, yeah, that's, that's they, where it goes. 
They go home with millions of dollars to do what with? Buy root vegetables that someone has rummaged? Oh, here's several hundred thousand dollars for that because there's nothing else in this crap hole. Like, what are they going to do with all the money? That's kind of why Hamish is, is a drunk. I mean, because he doesn't have anything else to do with it. Go to the capital where you can spend money. I don't think they have free movement. Uh, well, that would have been good to explain. Uh, it's another thing that I think is not explained in the movie that some people have said it is explained in the book or the small amount of the book that I've read, even the fact that PETA is from like a merchant's area of oh, yeah, District 12. And it's there are like some people that are almost middle class there. Right. Didn't come across in the no. movie. In the movie, it's, it's like two streets that are just muddy and everything's <laughs> dirty. And it's like, yay, I'm a millionaire here. <laughs> like, so what is the point of these games? Yay, you won accolades and things and... We, we do find out later that there's, like, a nice neighborhood for all the people that win. Yeah. And he like and they, that's where they live. But even still, it's like, what what are you still going to... Now that you have a nice house that you don't have to buy, you still have millions of dollars you don't know what to Sit do with. Sit around all day. And it, it makes sense that that's why Hamish is drunk or that there's a merchant class and that's why Peter's different. Uh, but it wasn't in the movie. It yeah, didn't no, it explain. was not conveyed. It'll probably be a little clearer in the second one that we start out with them hanging out in the rich people right. place. Like... You might get a little more sensitive, but and, in this film, as a standalone product. And I felt like they may get more into that, what happened after they won, or what are they going to do with all the money in the subsequent movies, but it still brought it up. I thought, like, yeah. they, they could have had a throwaway line or something, because at the end, I'm like, we're, we're kind of left hanging. What are they going to do with all this? Not in a tune-in-and-see way, in a, they should have talked about something of that. In the in the book, there's a lot more of she doesn't know what she's going to do with herself, and it's a moment of of uh, ambivalence for her. Your ambivalence is not reflecting her in the film; it's just sort of confusion. The the other thing about the riot and stuff was that what they the actual sign of rebellion from the book I shouldn't say actual because it's also fiction uh, <laughs> the real world one <laughs> in the book their sign of rebellion is that they send a gift, you know, the little gifts that they send yeah. periodically? They send a gift to her, and it's the first time anyone's ever send, sent a gift to someone not from their district. Oh, okay. And, I, and, like, in the book, it's like, everybody's like, wow, that's a huge step. And, and, like, it sort of conveys how downtrodden they are, again, the thing that you're missing, is, like, the most they can, the most rebellion they can muster is giving some bread to somebody who's not from their town. Right, and that would have actually read pretty well, because it would have been like, Wait, these districts are starting to work together. That's almost like what they did to try and, you know, rebel. Like, right. would have been seeds of... And then rebel. later on, we have the fighting and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. Like, it, it, it was a big leap, and it wasn't really necessary. And I, I think in terms of the broader things, and then also just in this film, it, it just didn't work. And then again, quit cutting outside the goddamn arena. <laughs> like, I want to stay in the arena yeah. and see what she's dealing with. She doesn't know that there's a riot going on. She right. might find out later, but still, like... Yeah. Or that they are saluting her with whatever two-finger salute. Yeah, but even even that, I sort of... That's sort of okay, cutting to that, because I'm like, again, they're not already fighting the, the, the yeah. government. Or even... The other thing about that is that I saw that, and I'm like, isn't that... That looks like a military-type salute. That's not a sign of the rebellion <laughs> that the, the police or the uh, peacekeepers should just be shooting all those people for? It's, uh, it is a sign of, from the rebellion, and they mentioned in the book, and it's like, yeah, you should just shoot everyone. It was that, a, that is dissent and, you know, insurrection right there. It, like, I thought this was a world in which they executed people for displaying any insignia of the rebellion, of speaking of it, of anything. 
a bunch of people just flipped that salute, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they did nothing about it. Yeah, it's it's not... It, it, it does not come across as, as Orwell's 1984. Right. It, it's not quite as... Yeah, it's like, how are they... If, if they're not being beaten down by this government, why are they putting up with these Hunger Games? It's, it's a it's, weird... It is weird, and I think people have told me, like, oh, well, they're starving, they can't rise up, or the hunger is really the central point. I didn't feel that in the movie, so... None of them are starving. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is, is probably a little underweight, but, right. <laughs> like, uh, but no more than any other yeah. actress in Hollywood. You mentioned uh, quit cutting outside the arena, and that was one other thing that detracted from the movie was that we didn't get enough time in the arena. It felt like the, the movie's called The Hunger Games. They do a good job of showing the city off, and showing off the capital when they get there and kind of some of the people and the stuff that goes into it. That, I felt like, got enough time and detail. And then we go into the Hunger Games and they're like, 11 kids, random kids, you don't know their names or everything. They're, they're dead. We've lessened the playing field in half in the first hour. I'm like, all right, it's going to now get into individuals. And, you know, we see some people die, like the kid getting his neck broken, or... The girl that started the fire, like an idiot. Right. killed her really early. Yeah, they, they're like, ha-ha, those ones. And then I'm like, I think some other ones maybe die off screen. I'm sure if I went through, they do do a cannon they or do, click them off. They do cover everybody, but, but it's, it, yeah. it, we don't see a lot of the details, and it feels like it's kind of rushed, or the amount of screen time in the actual arena feels like it was like 35, 40% of the movie. And yeah. it's called the Hunger Games. So after they, after she kills the guy who kills Rue, she then go, she finds Peta because right. there's the hey we can team up and everything's happy, hunky dory or whatever, and then she has to go to the, uh, she has to go to the cornucopia to get right. medicine or something, and the girl shows up and Thresh kills the girl. Yeah, with the throwing knife. And then uh, Thresh and Cato sort of have it out, and she goes back to Peta, and then we get the pig dogs, and it's. It's all very... And granted, the girl with the knives, that was kind of a... She was kind of a crazy person, and that was sort of interesting. Yeah. But, like, Th Thresh kills the girl, and he's, he says to Katniss, he's like, "Did you were you nice to Rue? And she's like, yes. Yeah. So and he's like, okay. Like, that was it. Like, it was... I, I didn't really even feel like he was... I, I'm not sure if I felt he was going to kill her. And then I was like... He changed his mind pretty quick. And, like, it was... It was all very rushed. I... I felt like he... It seemed like he knew that she was nice, Rue. Like, maybe he yeah, saw like, them. Which, I, how did that even it, happen? Like, it, I didn't think about it at the time. Of Did he see them in the woods and working together and went, all right, I'll give them a pass because they... But, I mean, if he likes Rue so much, why didn't he just join yeah. their team? Like, it, it was odd, but yeah, I, I don't kind know of he... let it slide because I'm like, oh, he, you know, uh, yeah. he's a black guy and she was a black guy. <laughs> uh, I imagined there was a bond between them being from the same district but the whole point of the movie is that's not the case because they all have to kill each other anyway so i went oh yeah well of course she was almost like a little sister to him or something i was making that up right and he's he would uh give her a pass because of what she did for rue but i'm like a how did looking back how did he know what she did for rue and b no he there's no bond between these people being from the same district yeah it was it was it played much better in the book made a lot more sense and uh, also, during the course of that, there's a little bit of, like, Katniss and Peeta hanging out in a cave. I didn't... I, I, I can only... I don't really remember any of it. Like, I remember what happened in the book, and I can sort of put the actors' faces on that. But, like... He's sick and needs the medicine, and then she, she kisses him because there's cameras everywhere, and they're trying to make it a love story. She, like... Right. 
And then she gets the... The parachute. Parachute with soup, and it says, you call that a kiss, H. And I I didn't realize before when she got, like, the medicine in the gift that it was from Hamish. I thought, like, sponsors call up and go this, and then the game makers send them. But I thought Hamish would be out of the loop of the actual, like, delivery or what goes. See, I was... This is me complaining about cutting outside. It, I, in the book, she just says Hamish is sending her stuff from the sponsors. And so I guess I, I, just real, I just realized I don't know how they would convey that in the film. At a certain point, we cut to Woody Harrelson getting up and talks to people. Right. And then they send stuff. And I was like, ah, we don't need to fucking see that. She gets a present. We know yeah. that Hamish. But apparently that's not true. <laughs> well, I, the first one, I was like, I pictured it as Hamish butters up these rich people. And it costs hundreds of thousand dollars. It's like taking out an ad in the Super Bowl. He butters them up and says, you really want this girl to win. Send her something. And they go, okay. And they call the game makers and say, I want how much for something. You know, right. Send them a knife or food or bread. Or medicine. And they go, oh, well, this is at that much. And so, like, the first thing shows up in his medicine. I'm like, I pictured an old rich person that liked her sending that. And Hamish convincing them to do it, but it's not like he loaded up the thing himself and sent it. Whereas when the oh. soup shows up, there's a note in there and it says, you call that a kiss, uh, H. And then I realized, oh, the note says H, like Hamish. Uh, why didn't he just throw medicine in there? Like, it seems teasing of, like, you call that a kiss... And I pictured that as, like, a little old lady somewhere saying, like, kiss him and mean it. But then when I realized it was Hamish, I'm like, why are you dicking around with notes? He's dying. You know, like... Well, see, this is, again, uh, what... If we had voiceover, we could cover this. She... First of all, there is no note. Like, he, everything that she thinks about what yeah. Hamish is doing is her interpretation. Right. Uh, and she has to figure out that the, soup, the reason all she gets is soup is because no one in the... like. The, the audience needs to be on her side, and she's not really playing up the romance thing. She needs to do something more than just give him a peck on the cheek in order to get all of the romantics in go, the audience. Oh. Yes, exactly. Right. And so that's what the you call that a kiss refers to. Um, but, but it came across as teasing, and it made me picture Hamish loading up the <laughs> ball himself and sending it in there. And I'm like, slip something else in there. I'm sure that's not the way it goes. Right, right. But it just called it into question to the point where he's being uh, coquettish. And yeah. And the kid's dying. And I'm yeah, like, they're trying to clarify something and then actually confused you more. Yeah. So that didn't work. Right. And I've also been told that in the caves, there's other bonding between them to where well, you might off actually believe that they have a relationship. But she's playing for the camera to try and... Oh, I... I... The way I interpreted it in the book, all of the cave stuff, was that she fell in love with him, but wouldn't admit it to herself, because she's like, I'm going to have to kill him, so there's no reason for me to, like, fall for it. That could, sounds could... very dynamic and interesting. <laughs> in the movie, he's there, and she goes, oh, right, there's cameras. Let me kiss him and see if they'll send some medicine, because then we can team up. It was kind of flat and transparent, even to the, you know, viewers or something, because Hamish... I thought literally Hamish couldn't get enough money to sponsor for the medicine, and someone. Well, yeah, I think that's sort someone of the went. Point. Oh, I'll sponsor soup, but I don't believe they're in love. <laughs> that relationship did not go anywhere. Like I genuinely believe that she really liked. And also, part skipping ahead to the end, when they get to the end, and, and she's like, in the book, she's like, "What are we going to do now?" Part of her problem is she really liked Gail, and then for the last very intense week with this with this guy, like. She it, it, she's genuinely like I don't know what to do about yeah. this, especially because I've been pretending to be in love with this guy right. for a week. Like uh, it's uh, it was a genuine like torn uh, torn thing, and then yeah. in the movie it's like nope, yeah, it's... yeah. It didn't feel like a like I said love triangle. It felt like she was 
playing, you know, for the cameras for part of it, but that it's pretty obvious she has no feeling for him. Um, whereas, you know, something like the stupid crap that is Twilight, uh, <laughs> you're like, yeah, she's dumb and she might like both of them. <laughs> uh, whereas this, you're like, no, she clearly doesn't like him and was just doing it to survive. He's just the only one that doesn't know that. Uh, <laughs> So it does come up in the end, and I could see them developing it further in the other books. Like, he's they have something they shared together. Yeah, I mean, it's an intense thing, and so you can see how they would keep rolling with it. And then sort of part of the problem that, that again, spoilers for future books and movies, is they have to continue pretending to be in love because they keep going on, like, tours and stuff around to the districts. Yeah, I mean, they touch on that a little at the end where they have to do the show circuit the talk show circuit and say how in love she was and right. she would rather have died and they have to play it that way. So it, it does almost feel like hopefully when they're going home, they'll get off the train and then they can drop the act, but it wouldn't be a far leap to find out that they can't. She finally does get him his medicine and then Seneca is like, well, let's start uh, throwing dogs at them. Yeah, like, it's again, he, oh, it's been like three or four days. Let's wrap this up. It almost feels I have like to go home. That's sort of what the film feels like. Like yeah. the director is like, two two hours. Let's uh, let's finish this up here. I mean, like let's literally have the sun rise and set on camera. Like it, they really sort of burned through it. Yeah, they summon up these pig dogs, and they're just like, all right, it's clearing house time. Like everything must go. PD even says, "What's that?" And she says, "The finale." I mean, the only thing worse than fireballs, and if that guy just took out everyone, is pig dogs. That they just summon. They literally go, man, this game's been going on like, what, three days? And Wes Bentley's like, let's let's go to the finale. They wait all year for this, and they're tired because <laughs> it's taking too long. So they go, hey, summon up some pig dog things. And it's someone literally waves their hand at the 3D computer in front of them, and it pulls up a little model of it, and he's like, that looks good. I'm like, they just made that up? on the sp-. They wave their hand, and they're like, hey, instantiate some pig dog things. <laughs> hey, you, you got like three minutes, right? Do something for the finale. We didn't think of this beforehand. <laughs> so just wave your hand over this machine. It creates randomized <laughs> genetic things that they covered that they I have. I got the impression he was pulling a file out. And I, he was like, this is the final, like, let me show you the final version, boss, before I before we throw it out. And like, they've had like several meetings and like... And, like final design they, they decisions did, on yeah, pig dogs. Yeah, they had like a, a test marketing. It and, <laughs> did not come across to me. I mean, thinking about it, that could be, but he has a line like, that looks good. And I'm like, You've never seen... They didn't talk about this beforehand. They're just like, let's wrap this up. Anyone, any ideas? <laughs> you? Oh, yeah. Send it out there. Um, I but, guess that this, again, I did not notice because of having read the book. It's actually more insane than that. The dogs things are genetically engineered or whatever to have eyes that look like the other uh, tributes that she has already killed. And I she see. recognizes them and and start like starts to wonder, hey, did they put the person's brain in there that I've killed? And does that person remember me killing them? Wow! And I was like, that's that's a little uh, darker. Th- we were sort of sci-fi. That's insane. Like that's beyond like uh, any sort of technology. Like you are now into like Star Trek level, like well, not making any sense at all. Kind of sci-fi. I think that's a little a lot crazier. But uh, they could. Take a kid's head and put it in a pig dog. I don't know what the <laughs> rules with pig dogs are. But well, on top of that, better like, than several of the kids she shot an arrow like through their face. There you so, go. So like the brain's already you can't just plant the brain. Destroy back. or remove the <laughs> remove brain. the head or destroy the brain. Yes. Yeah. That aside, that would have been 
much scarier and probably taken longer than the four seconds what's-her-name waves her hands over the <laughs> keyboard to make these things. Well, I think the reason they didn't do it in the movie is because it's like, how would you even... 13 Well, no, I mean, how would you even recognize, like, oh, that's definitely Foxface's eyes. I uh, I can see that. They would have to... I mean, the, I keep calling them pig dogs, but they had human-ish faces. Like, it right. was... They were weird-looking, so they could have just put the whole face. Um, but it would have been a lot darker, and they would have had to set it up by, like... You were saying with the cannibal kit, they removed the bodies. They didn't cover that in this. The, like with Rue, she puts flowers on the bodies that look like they leave them there. Right. They never, again, it's exposition in the book. They don't take the body until the person who killed them is out okay. of the way. But we do go back to places where there would be a corpse and there's no corpse. So it's, it's pretty clear that they okay. collected them um, at some point. But it, in addition to just the pig dogs feeling like they came from nowhere... That was another jump in the level of whatever technology these people have. Because first it was, oh, fiery dresses, sure. We're a couple hundred years in the future. Uh, then the, you know, global grid, like, projecting the things up on the sky and the fireballs. I was like, ah, that's a little more. Now we're, again, feeling a lot Truman Show. You're in a bubble and we're controlling all the elements. But then just being like, wave the hands, design a pig dog, and then snap your fingers, and there's 300 of them. And that was the other thing, is that there, it looked like there was one, and they did it this way on purpose, but there's one, and you're like, ah, she can take it down, you know, shoot it with an arrow, and then there's dozens more. There was one point where one, like, grew out of the ground, and I was yeah. like, is that, that doesn't make any sense. Right, and it's just, well, first off, where are these coming from? And even though they had the genetic flames, and they had the thing that healed her leg overnight, those things I was almost fine with. This seemed like a leap of technology and logic that was out of the blue, and, again, just stupid, because what if the dogs kill every one of the kids? Do the dogs win? <laughs> like, what if they happen to sink their teeth into two necks at the same time? And I was like, whoops, those were the last two. We didn't think this through. <laughs> like, uh, go to commercial. <laughs> I assumed that, uh, and, and I'm just filling in blanks, Peta and Katniss were in one place, and Kato was somewhere else, and we didn't even know if it was Kato or the, or the kid from District 11 that point but uh kato is somewhere else i figured they let the dogs loose on Peta and katniss right and they could and then direct if, them or be controlling yeah them and i remotes. assume they had some sort of remote kill kill switch that if the kids wound up in the same spot although again all three of them were on top of the uh on top of the cornucopia she could have shot the dude and slipped and then all three of them fallen down and gotten eaten yeah like the, they could have all it still could have happened at yep. that point so, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. They, it's a terrible decision to make. Terrible <laughs> finale. It was, again, felt like three days. They're like, I'm getting really bored here. Let's just wrap this up. I got places to be. <laughs> this is supposed to be the biggest thing all year. And yeah, they're waiting for it, and then this guy's just bored. Haven't you been, when you watch the Super Bowl, and it's like fourth quarter, and you're like, ah, I know Cato's going to win this. Like, <laughs> No one ever complains the Oscars are too long, do they? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, they don't try and speed those up, and we don't see the director or technical people behind the scenes trying to shorten the contestants' time, right? <laughs> Sarcasm. It, it, was, it felt stupid as a finale for the games, and because it drives them all up on the cornucopia, and then she has to try and shoot Kato uh, without hurting Peta, or he's saying, shoot both of us and you'll win. I'm like, that's true. Why is this your decision? And Kato's got like a cut on his face and seems to be bleeding a lot. We have no idea what happened to him. Well, we and know he was fighting the big black kid. We do. Because that kid's dead, so... 
There are pig dogs roaming the forest. I don't know <laughs> what happened to that guy. Uh, well, I guess, again, it's carrying over from the book. It was clear that he was chasing after him. Okay. And trying to kill him. And I, they were, like, fighting each other, and, like, they heard a cannon, and they are like, I don't know, one of them's dead. I didn't get that from the movie. I knew one of them died, like, someone died off screen. I didn't track that it was the, the last guy. Well, that was actually an annoying thing, because it, it violates, exa- like, the rules that they had established, which was... You and they said it in the book, but they definitely explained it in the movie too. You hear a cannon, someone died, and then that night they show the face. They showed the face of the kid from Eleven immediately, and I'm like, well, now we know Kano's going to be there, so there's not really like a sense of surprise whether it's a kid who is who let her survive right. previously or a psychopath who's trying to kill them. Like, it, there's no question. It's like, oh, it's it's going to be him, so we know he's going to show up. Like, and we know he's going to pop up at yeah. that last minute. Like. It was much better where it was like, we don't know if it's the kid that we kind of like or the kid that, that is the villain. Right. And that was weird that they made that choice. I actually didn't track how many people were left at that point. Oh. I was like, yeah, there might be still some more, but I felt know, like the pig movie, dog's cleaning them up. I felt like the movie was... I, th- I thought the announcers kept repeating, like, well, now there's three left. There's, All right. I thought they were... They could have been tracking it, I just didn't. <laughs> I was more worried about, I was pondering the existence of pig dogs. But they end up on the cornucopia, and like I said, Cato is there and says, he has says, shoot us both and you'll win. And he seems to have given up, or like, he seems to be having an identity crisis or something where like, he's Killing suicidal. is what we're for, yeah. Yeah, go ahead and kill me. And clearly he's been raised his whole life for this, and I... It feels like he's like, why did she get an 11 and I didn't? I trained my whole life and people don't like me here. He didn't say those lines. I'm kind of imagining whatever his problem is. But he's having a big emotional problem in a very short time. And it, from what we've known of his character of, oh, he's trained to kill and he's coming here to win. This is not that. And like, it doesn't feel like she wins in the end or anything like that because he was about to kill himself anyway. Even if he had one, he might have put a, a knife to his throat because he's like, well, uh, this is all I've been trained for. Uh, my l- life is meaningless. Or, you know, he seems to be having a breakdown. Yeah, but I mean, he's a 16-year-old kid who's killed a half dozen people. Even if he's thought ahead of time, I'm going to kill a bunch of people. Right. Like, the actual act of killing people is probably more traumatic than, than he imagined. And uh, now he's nearly going to die. Like, I can imagine... Like, Regardless of whether we see the specifics of his breakdown, I was like, whatever happened between Thresh and Cato, like, off in the distance, like, I can imagine that's pretty, pretty screwed up. Because, like, the one, he killed one kid who was, like, smaller than him, and then, like, the other kills were all, like, as, like, a group. But, like, he and Thresh were, like, the same size. So, like, he, even if he did survive, like, he must have had to do a lot of crazy Fighting stuff to, 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 to survive that. I can imagine, like... I was sort of okay with, I don't need to see the specifics of the breakdown. I could just assume there's a breakdown going on there. Right, and I imagined that as well. It's just odd to have a movie where you're building up to the boss fight and the bad guy, (laughs) and then the bad guy's like, I don't even want to live anymore. (laughs) You're like, how is this a finale? (laughs) And it was more about the twist of, hey, we're going to take that rule back about two winners, now kill each other. And even that didn't pan out because she instantly thought of a way around it. It showed how clever she was, but it was more about the twist than a big fight or anything. I don't even 
feel like it counts as a twist when it's so blatantly obvious that that's going to happen. As soon as I read that, I was like, they're going to take it. It's going to come down to her and Bita, and uh, they're going to they're say, now you have to kill each other. Like, I, anybody who didn't see that coming is just a 14-year-old girl reading a book that's age-appropriate. Yeah, it, it wasn't a big twist <laughs> to me either for the movie. That moment when she decides to, she's like, hey, we've got these poison berries, like, let's kill each other. It's so tense in the book. And in the movie, it's, she just reaches in her pocket, and they sort of look at each other, and then they go for it. And I'm like, this movie is already two hours and 15 minutes long or something. I wouldn't mind if it was two hours and 16 minutes to, to make this scene a little more drawn out and a little more like, holy crap, are they actually going to kill themselves? Right. They're... Or how are they going to get out of this or something? Yeah, it, it played very fast in the movie. She pulls it out. They're like, let's do this. Yeah. And they're like, wait, never mind. You both win. And I was like, well, that, that was resolved quickly. <laughs> I mean, his whole thing where he's like, well, I'm, I'm already hurt and I'm going to die anyways. First of all, I didn't really look like he was going to die. But secondly, like, he, it didn't seem like he was really proposing it and she didn't seem to really consider it. She was just like, nah, I got a better idea. Let's, you know, like, there was no, are they actually going to kill each other? Yeah. They, I didn't, they, they got, they moved past that so fast. Right, they could have done a, like, Kirk versus Spock, dun, 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 <laughs> and had, like, an actual moment of where they both calculate their chances or consider their options, and it didn't feel like that. She just like, no, I got it. It's all right. I got a better idea. No, sh yeah, we'll, we're going to pretend here. Go with me. Trust me. And he's like, okay. This is, I think, where uh, her characterization falls flat overall, because in the book, she's very calculating and very... She's constantly worried about what other people are thinking. Like, she's not sure if Peta likes her or if he's pretending to like her. And it goes back and forth quite a bit. In this, she's very... Decisive. And yeah. And just like, yeah, I know. And, like, her decision to rescue him... I mean, she in the book, she considers shooting him. Because she's like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Uh, but she wants to survive. She wants to provide for her family and all of that stuff. And she's like, she actually thinks, well, that's an option. And she's very, not cold, I guess, but, like, she's at least uh, logical in that sense, which I guess maybe is cold. Uh, well. <laughs> that she, she thinks about. She thinks about killing him because that's what it comes down to. And in this, she just, she never comes across as someone who's looking at all of the angles. She yeah. just sort of does stuff. It's never more evident than in the finale. I find it hard to judge the film overall because... I read the book so closely to the movie that the movie was just sort of an illustrated version of the book. And all of the things that were missing, I could sort of project. Like, yeah. I could see that they everybody read back was... story. Yeah. Right? And everybody was... Like, nothing that happened on screen contradicted it, other than the stupid neck thing that happened to okay. But, like, mostly I could sort of project the thoughts that I knew they were having onto the characters. Right. and motivation. And it was a well-shot movie. Like, I, I liked the way that it looked, and I liked... Like, the production value was all there. So, uh, other than a few missing things with, like, the town yeah. not conveying the different uh, strata of, of society. But, I don't know, you're a better judge of recommending whether people should see it if they haven't read the book. I liked it as a movie on its own enough. It didn't blow me away. I didn't justify the box office, but we kind of talked about that's more about the property in the book anyway. It wasn't great. Um, it was comparable. It was better than, like, I Am Number Four, uh, <laughs> which was a similar, you know, adaptation from a book. It was way better than Twilight, which was, I saw the first one, and it was terrible. Um, in terms of, like, Harry Potters, it's probably not as good as 
Prisoner of Azkaban or like the last two, but felt on par with like Goblet of Fire, where it's like, yeah, it was action-y and there was characters that you could like. So it's worth seeing. Uh, you don't have to rush out and unless you're going to read the books or you already have, you know, it's not going to be like gospel or you don't have to rush out and see it, but it's something to see. Yeah, and uh, I definitely would recommend the book now that this is a book podcast, but the book is really good. <laughs> and the book did kind of blow me away. Like, I don't usually read very fast. I read the book super quick, and then I immediately read the second and third one in quick succession. And I don't usually do that, so that yeah. says something about how enjoyable it is. I'm reading the book for the first one now, after I've seen the movie, uh, and I'll probably go on to read the second and third books now that I've got the character, like the actor's looks locked <laughs> in, and then I'll see the second and third movie. But uh, similar to Harry Potter, where I like the stories, I like the properties, I'm not going to wait in line for the midnight first screening or see it five <laughs> times like a lot of people do for those things, but uh, I'll watch them. Um, so that's it for this week. Tune in next time for a uh, trailer episode.